The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome to House Mac, Chicago Bears History by the Decade. I'm Jeff Burkus, a writer for Windy City Gridiron, and I'm partnering up for this special podcast series with lifelong Bears fan and historian Matt Winter. Matt, today we're talking about the current iteration of this Bears squad, and we're trying to apply lessons learned from the past 100 years of Bears history, and we look into the future. Jeff, where do you see the future of this team going? I mean, I, I think we've learned the lessons, and I think we can see that this team in its current iteration is partly set up for the future, but also partly not. And so are you optimistic about the next decade or are you pessimistic or somewhere in between? Well, I think that's what the next hour is for. Fair enough. (laughs) (laughs) Hour plus probably. Yeah. I'm not sure that I have an optimistic viewpoint because there is one clearing hole, but I'm generally a, a more optimistic fan as my base mode and so there's a lot to like here and there's a lot that I think it rhymes with and I think we're going to get to that here in this episode but so Matt I just just wanted to say this is possibly our last episode we might come back and have a Q&A or wrap-up show to kind of go through the 100 years but you know this is the last show that I had in our original plans and this is uh, really all about trying to put this current roster build into context and trying to see if we can predict something you know probably for the first part of the decade you know it's going to be impossible to predict football for the entire decade but we're gonna we're gonna sure take a shot at it but i want to do up top thank you for helping me do this series it's been a lot of fun and a nice diversion during this global pandemic and i hope that you've enjoyed doing that as well yeah i didn't quite know what to think when you asked me because i know this is your world i've never done a podcast i've never done anything remotely like this but it's been very very exciting and so Big thanks to you, and uh, it's been a blast and just uh, you know a really cool way for us to spend time together during this global pandemic. Right. So every episode we started off with a cocktail of the decade, and so I just kind of wanted to take the space to talk about what I think the future of cocktails is going to be in the 2020s. I think that for the most part in the next decade, we're going to see a lot of specialized ingredients, house ingredients, if you will. I think the selection of great liquor is going to continue to grow more and more. I think you're just going to see the shelves get more and more full of very interesting craft type 
uh, liquors, craft bourbons, things like that. Mm. I think it's going to really take shape like the craft beer market. The only difference is that craft bourbon is going to take at least four years to reach the market where a craft beer idea is going to take you just a couple of months. And so I think you're going to continue to see more and more investment on the liquor end of things, and you're going to see more and more options on your shelves, which I think we're all just going to benefit from. Sure, there's going to be a lot of kind of crappy stuff, but there's going to be a lot of good stuff too. I think for me, I'm more of a bourbon guy. And so I expect to be able to find more interesting, like single barrel, small batch stuff that probably play with the grain bill a little bit. They'll maybe age it in a barrel that is interesting, that kind of stuff. They'll, they'll play with those things. Other people might be more interested in say like, oh, hey, try this peanut butter flavored whiskey. Uh, you know, the cinnamon fireball whiskey. Uh, okay, no, it's not you. really my thing. <laughs> but you're going to find more and more flavors of, of, of your liquors. And, you know, that, that has a market and that's fine. That's not necessarily what I'm into and, and what I think makes good good cocktails. But regardless, I think that you're going to see new cocktails jump up from that. Um, or you're just going to see those craft those craft bourbons and those craft liquors plugged into some of these old recipes because I think as I've kind of looked at the history of cocktails I think we kind of figured out the recipes for cocktails and what makes them good and the ratios and now we just have better ingredients to do that with and so that's kind of what I think the future of the cocktail industry is going to be and then for me the one base liquor that I think is going to grow in popularity here in the next few years is mezcal and I, what I is mezcal? It's very similar to tequila, but tequila is very specific. So, uh, so tequila is made from one type of agave called uh, Blue Weber, and it has to be made in one province in Mexico. And so it's a lot like a Kentucky bourbon, right? Like you can make bourbon anywhere, but you know, to be Kentucky bourbon, it's got to be made in, in Kentucky. And so tequila is a lot like that, and, and that's, for the most part, what you've seen over the years in the stores is, you know, anything that's tequila, it's, it's one type of agave. So it's very specific. You can, you know, tequila, I'm not a big fan of necessarily tequila specifically, but mezcal is made from any type of agave and it can be made anywhere in Mexico. And so you're going to open up the flavor profile of tequila, and then you're going to allow for a lot more craft Versions And so when those are able to get to market and come up into the U.S. and be on the shelves, I think you're going to have more options to play with with that flavor profile. And so I think you're going to see a lot more cocktails that are using Mezcal than you have in the past. And certainly you're just going to see it on the menu. And then I think it's going to displace uh, tequila in a lot of ways because you have just better flavor profile options. We had it when we went down to Mexico last year Mm -hmm. on vacation. We, We did a Mezcal tasting and did a tequila tasting, and I enjoyed the mezcals way more than I did the tequilas. All right, so that's the cocktail game, uh, the liquor game, I think, that's going to happen in the future. What about pop culture? Like, where do you see television and movies and music going? Well, I I think the most fascinating question right now, given our current pandemic, is will movie theaters survive the next couple of years? Because... I'm not sure COVID is going anywhere. I think it's going to be around for a, a couple years at least. I know I'm not going to go to a movie theater anytime soon. I know you're not going to. I think a good portion of America is not going to go to movies anymore for a while. Not as many as used to. And we're so set up for just watching these movies at our homes right now. And that's what you can do with any new release movie right now is 
they're allowing early access you can stream it at home and so is that going to become the norm and so i my prediction is you're going to see a lot less emphasis on movies and more on tv shows big budget tv shows and that was it was already trending that way anyway i think before the pandemic and so i'm starting to see a lot more of you know quote unquote movie stars pop up on tv shows i I, so i guess for the next five to ten it's it's these streaming wars you've got netflix you've got amazon you've got uh, something like disney plus there's uh hulu there's all this stuff all these different streaming networks and all these different types of original content whether it be movies or shows or whatever and so i think the days of going to the movie theater and watching that movie i think those days are drawing to an end one because it was already trending that way two again because of the pandemic and so i think it's just a big race to see who which streaming services can survive the next three four five years and who's going to come out on top netflix had the early lead but now you got things like Amazon Prime, you've got Hulu catching up, and there's a lot of fantastic shows on all of these different streaming streaming networks. And so let's let's play our game, Jeff. I okay. It, this is stuff that has only come out during the Nagy era, and so that's only a couple years, or stuff that was starting right at like the beginning of it. Uh, TV right. shows, Jeff. Here we go. Barry, Fleabag, Millions, Killing Eve. Ozark or The Mandalorian? Okay, so I've seen them all except for The Mandalorian, and I've only watched the first part of Billions, which I, I, I know that I'm behind on that. I, I actually think that Killing Eve is really weird. <laughs> uh, but the the main character that's not Sandra O, oh, she's really fascinating, and so she makes that watchable. I would say Fleabag was kind of darn near a perfect show, but I really enjoy Barry. I think Barry was a lot of fun, and I hope that they continue. It's a a very kind of weird show but i i think it's a he uh bill Hader really carries it well what about you Uh, billions i like but i don't think it's anything particularly new killing eve is a very unique show i like those shows where i've never quite seen anything like that and i think fleabag really fits that bill ozark is ozark's a good show show excuse me uh the mandalorian i'm not a star wars guy by any stretch of the imagination but i really like that show i think it's not a it's not like it's not anything like the movies the those star wars movies that they've come out with it's a great show but i'm going barry as well because i have never seen anything remotely like barry it is like it can make you cry laughing one time or it can make you almost cry emotionally because it's it's such an emotional show and i was so surprised by bill Hader that he had that type of acting range like he is phenomenal mm-hmm. in that show and so if for our listeners, if you haven't seen it, check out Barry. It is fantastic. You will be you will not be disappointed. Uh, for movies recently, pick one, Jeff. Black Panther, A Quiet Place, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, Knives Out, or your personal favorite, Bird Box. Jeff, which one you going with? <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Last time for you to get one of those jokes in. I thought Knives Out was incredibly refreshing and fun and just quirky, and, and I, I had a really good time. I actually saw that in a theater. <laughs> I think that might have been the last movie I saw at a theater. Oh, wow. And I, I had a lot of fun with that one. I suppose that's probably going to be my pick. I'm not a big comic book movie guy. There was one that you said. What was the third one you said? 
uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino. Right. Anytime, yeah. Anytime I get Tarantino, uh, that that one is a is a good choice too. And so it's probably be between those two. What about you? I just saw Knives Out, and so that's really fresh in my mind. I I love all of them on here besides Bird Box, um, <laughs> but there's just something about a Tarantino movie, and I don't want to give it anything away in the movie, but especially at the end, you're just like. Yeah, that's that's a Tarantino movie right there at the end of it, the last twenty minutes, and it's just it's just a bizarre, fun movie. So I'm going Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What's what's your favorite Tarantino movie? Oh lordy, um, I used to think it was Pulp Fiction, right? But now I really think it's Inglorious Bastards. Yep, okay. I I, that's I where could I'm watch I could watch Inglorious Bastards at any time. It's on something like hulu i guess we have hulu so it's not like on on all the time but if it's there i'm gonna watch inglorious bastards it's just it's such a great movie you got brad pitt with his bizarre accent and you got uh christoph waltz i think tarantino just came out and said like the most memorable character or the character he's ever had the most fun writing was i I don't remember the character's name in that movie but christoph waltz the the head the head nazi hunter person uh, just a, a fantastic, fun movie. And really, yep, it, it's uh, almost I, like I three or four right. different movies within that movie, which is kind of always how he directs. And that opening scene is, you know, where he, he goes to the farmhouse and asks for the milk. Oh, my goodness, yes. It, it is, you can't turn that, you can't turn that off. And then you when, can't turn when, the, away. when the camera pans down below the yep. floor and you see that. The, so intense. Oh, it's just a, a great, great movie. Okay, glad we're on the same page there. What about music? I, I'm gonna probably struggle with this because I feel like unless it's come up on my, you know, while I'm out for a run, I'm probably not gonna know. But go ahead. Well, in fact, Jeff, we're on the same page here exactly because I don't have a music category. I didn't bother to try. I would be so out of my league on this that I, I just didn't pick any music. I don't. I'm at that age now, Jeff, where I don't listen to anything current. I, it, <laughs> it has to be at least like ten years old for me to want to really listen to it. I'm at that age. I'm that guy right now. So we are skipping music. I have nothing to say about music. I think that for me, it's 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 now it's music serves a purpose more than anything. I mean, it's, it's on in the background. We enjoy it, you know, like when we're making dinner or something like that. But a lot of times for me, it's like I need to, uh, you know, I'm running and I need something to help me get through the, the last couple of miles of this run. I turn on Pandora or Spotify or whatever, and I just have more of a, this is the type of music that I want to hear. Yeah. And so they're going to play that music. And so, you know, if the black, if the black keys come out with a new album, I'm not going to know that until I hear a new song that's played on my stream. Right. And so that's really the only way that I get exposed to it anymore. I don't listen to the radio. I'm listening to podcasts. And so really the only time I'm listening to new music is when I'm, when I'm working out. All right, well, let's move on to football stuff. So, you know, looking forward, obviously this decade is already going to have one team moving. So officially the Raiders go to Las Vegas in the 2020s. They're going to start in the, this fall in 2020 uh, to play in Vegas. We talked about that a little bit last time. What do you think about future movement in the NFL or maybe even expansion? you have a prediction on that? I, I, I kind of hope that we don't have any expansion. We've talked about that. I think 32 teams is perfect. But I do think that we're going to see a major move in the 2020s. And my prediction is that the Jaguars are going to move to London. I 32 is such a perfect number with eight divisions of four teams. 
I hope that doesn't change. If Jacksonville moves or not, really, I don't care. Like Jacksonville is like the least exciting team. It might actually make them more exciting to move to London. And if, mm-hmm. if you think of expansion, the U.S. population is, is not growing especially fast. And there's not really an influx of talent from other countries where you're like, you look at the NBA, there's in the last 20 years, there's been a huge influx of talent, people coming to the NBA internationally. Baseball's always been that way. Football doesn't sure. doesn't really have that. There's not a lot of players coming from anywhere. Uh, it's a very American sport, yes. And so <laughs> with the population and, and the birth rate in our country declining, the population's going to remain, it's still obviously growing, but fairly steady. I, I don't see a need to add in a team anytime soon. And I think if you're one of those 32 teams, with the money they're making right now, I don't think those owners are going to want to bring another team into it because I think the pie is being divided up pretty pretty big slices for everyone right now, and I, I don't know if owners are going to want to dilute the product at all. Yeah, good point. Uh, I, I think that it would be interesting to see the Jaguars. It's a third team in Florida. I'm not sure that they need three teams in Florida. And I'm not sure the Jaguars have a huge fan base. Obviously, they have... They've been in the league for a while, but they, you know, they're obviously a newer team, but they're just not someone who's had sustained success and they've had long droughts. And so I could kind of, they seem perfectly positioned to make a move. And I think it would be a big move to go international. And I think that would be Goodell's kind of crowning achievement. And I know that he's somewhat close to the end of his career and wanting to retire at some point in the near future. And so I could see him really pushing for that before he leaves as kind of a crowning achievement. So that, that's my that's my prediction. I'm going out on a, on a limb there and, and saying that I think that's going to happen. Do you, do you think that's the kiss of death for a franchise, though, when you get moved to England? <laughs> like who, I mean, is your typical NFL free agent or player in general going to want to go play for London? I wouldn't think so, but I could also see it being... You know, they have like a home base in the U.S. and they fly over for games, you know, a couple times a year and they stay there a couple times. And, you know, I'm sure that they'd have to pay them at a rate. You know, they'd probably pay them, you know, as residents of Jacksonville or whatever they keep their home base. And and then they would, uh, you know, they'd have a couple of trips to Europe and then you'd be kind of the Europe team. And I, I don't know. I think it's a little weird. I don't like it. I'm just, it's just kind of what I've seen over the last few years with the international series and how many times the Jaguars get to play that. And you sort of read about their owner and seems like he's pretty receptive to the idea of doing that. And they don't have a big fan base. And so I think it, they don't have a lot to lose, I think, in doing that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I hope they don't. But yeah, if, if Goodell thinks he can make more money off doing it then he'll definitely do it oh 100 percent. all right well let's talk about the bears so the, listen, we're going to start with the bears coach and that's matt nagy he is 20 and 12 in his first two seasons including a 12 and 4 campaign in which he won coach of the year uh during his first year as chicago bears head coach so nagy was an arena league quarterback and a longtime assistant coach for andy reed worked his way up he ascended to offensive coordinator after Doug Peterson left for Philadelphia and won a Super Bowl there. Nagy called plays uh, for part of the season for the Chiefs. There's kind of a, well, is it Nagy calling the plays? Is it Reed calling the plays? And there's kind of some back and forth. But uh, Nagy had a little bit of play calling experience there in Kansas City. 
I think his main job that last year, though, was to really work with rookie Patrick Mahomes to try to get him ready for you know prime time. You know, Alex Smith was still the starter there, and it was Nagy's job to get Mahomes ready. He was hired by the Bears to work with Mitchell Trubisky, who we're going to talk about here in a little bit. But, Matt, first question to you, is Matt Nagy the right coach for this team? Right now, I think it's trending downward, but I'm going to give him, you know, at least two more years at this because 2018 looked so promising. But also, I think that's fool's goal in a way because 2018 was so good because our defense was just making plays, forcing turnovers, defensive touchdowns, just a crazy year for the defense. And I think, you know, it, you look back and, oh, Trubisky made the Pro Bowl, but uh, the Bears' offense that year was you know, slightly below average by the numbers, I believe. And last year, the offense was uh, one of the bottom four offenses in the league. And so for a guy that's supposed to be this offensive guru, uh, I, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing development by Trubisky. Maybe that's nothing to do with Nagy. Maybe just Trubisky is terrible. But uh, I'm not really seeing... Nagy elevate his players and I think that's what good coaches are going to do and so I, I'm, I'm going to give him this year and if this year looks promising then yeah let's go with it but I'm a little bullish on Nagy what about you Jeff or sorry I'm a little bearish on you're bearish yeah. I'm a little <laughs> trending downwards with Nagy right 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 so I all right so if you're going to make an argument for Matt Nagy the first thing you're going to say is that you have to really buy into the culture that he's brought. And I really like what he's done in that way. The players seem to like him. He's been able to keep the locker room going strong when they were doing well, but he also kept the locker room together when they were doing poorly. And I think that that's something that we did not see under, say, Mark Trestman. And so I think that he has the tools to be a good head coach in this league. And I think that as long as he continues to build a culture that the players respond to, then you're going to have players that are going to want to come and play for Chicago. And so that's, again, that's not something we saw a few years ago. And I think that a lot of guys are at least somewhat, they're going to take a visit because they've got a buddy that they played college with and, you know, hey, come play here. It's, you know, coach is great. You know, we, we, we really have got a good team chemistry here. And so I think that that is an incredibly important element. And I think so many coaches get that wrong. You look at a lot of guys from the Bill Belichick tree, which I have defended like so much. Like you can't discount the next guy from the Bill Belichick tree just because of the past failures, because the next guy might be great. But so many of these guys come in and they try to be Bill Belichick too, you know, and it just doesn't work. They try to... You know, oh, I'm command and control. I'm Matt Patricia. You know, I'm going to kick, I'm going to trade Darius Slay for God's sakes. Like, what are you doing? And, and and so I think that the head coach coming in and developing a culture is one of the most important things that's hard to quantify and it's not something that's talked about enough in the modern NFL. And so I think that we've got that with Matt Nagy, and I think that that's great. Now, the next piece is the play calling piece. And I think in 2018, he was a good play caller. He seemed to have a pretty good feel for things. He was able to be creative. He got a lot of the players involved. It goes back to that chemistry thing. You know, he had Akeem Hicks in on offense a couple times. That was a lot of fun. It got the defensive players, like, riled, you know, pumped up to be part of the offense. He had a lot of interesting calls with. You know, you know, he had two quarterbacks on the field at the same time. He, I don't know that they're necessarily like 
always going to be great plays, and that's fine. But he's having fun, and it keeps a lot of guys involved. And I think that that's interesting. Now, sometimes I have some issues where he's trying to get everybody touches. You know, he's you know, it's, it looked like you know his philosophy was, hey, I'm going to try to get everybody involved all the time, so that if somebody goes down, that guy's already had touches and games, and he's not going to be cold. Well, that makes sense to some extent, but then the other side of it, if you're not putting the ball in the hands of your best players every play, you're not maximizing your potential on offense, and some games you need to do that. I mean, if you're comfortably winning, yeah, mix in those guys that you know don't get a lot of touches, great. But when, <laughs> when every play counts, when every drive matters, you need to be putting the ball into the hands of your biggest playmakers with you know maximum efficiency. So that, I think, was a philosophy that was not maybe did not serve him well, but I think that he's adapted a little bit to that. I think last year, and, and you know we're going to get into Trubisky here in a minute, I think that people come down one of two ways. It was, it's Nagy's fault because he is a bad play caller and he's not putting people in a position to succeed, or it's Trubisky's fault. He's missing open reads all the time, and what's Nagy supposed to do when he's calling the right play against the right defense, but Trubisky can't read the field. And so I think it kind of depends on how you see the game and where you see the, what what you see the role of a head coach and a play caller uh, of where you come down on that. We can talk about that in a little bit, but for me, I think I see a lot of positives in Matt Nagy to think that he can be uh, a really good head coach for a long time. So maybe here's the problem. If it is Trubisky that's holding him back, and I'm not sure how much Foles elevates that, is he going to get fired before he ever gets that QB that he wants to work with? If, if the next, I think it's possible. If the next couple years don't go well, is he going to be around for that? Well, I think it's possible, but I also think that the only way that you get fired really early is if you lose the locker room and embarrass the team. And he's not he has not done that. And I think that uh, for the most part, the ownership team seems to really like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. And so I think that they're going to give them enough rope, an ample amount of rope to, to see if they're able to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's just, again, this is a prediction show. Uh, and so I think that Nagy is going to get a second contract. That's my opinion. That's my prediction for Matt Nagy. And then I was going to ask you this question. I know that's, you know, it's a prediction show. But do you think Matt Nagy ends up winning more games than Lovey Smith as a head coach? I I agree with you in that he'll get a second contract. I don't think he'll win as many games as Lovey because uh, unless the Bears get their guy at quarterback, at some point the wheels are going to fall off. The, the defense has some young guys, but it's kind of built around guys like Hicks, Mack, and Quinn who are on their second contract already and kind of uh, they're, they're probably not going to be around in five years. How many how many years did Lovey coach? Nine for the Bears? I in, in this day and age with the head coaching turnover, it'd be quite an accomplishment if, if Nagy gets to stay around that long, but he's got to get to a Super Bowl. You're not staying around that long unless you get to a Super Bowl or win a Super Bowl. And so I hope he's around because that means things are going well. But he's certainly, uh, record-wise, he's off to a good start. Does he get to Lovey's wins? I'm going to predict no. I just I don't think he will. I don't think we, – we don't have the quarterback yet, and it seems unlikely that we'll get one anytime soon. So, no. Okay. All right. 
I I uh, I think it's actually if you ask Vegas odds that they would give you really good odds for this. Like in in terms of favorable odds of, you know, put a, put a dollar down and they might give you three back, because I think that it's considered right now that it'd be a long shot for him to beat Lovey's mark. I I would be willing to take favorable odds and put some money down on it because I do think that he is a well-liked guy and he can he can keep he can keep a locker room together he's got a good culture and i think that that goes a long way and if he keeps winning games he went eight and eight last year this is not a guy that went four and twelve right and this is still a guy who was able to keep the locker room together and win some games and so you know he's four and oh against the vikings four and oh against the lions i know he's not doing very well against the packers but like he's still doing well i think as bears fans we were very disappointed because the expectations for the 2019 Bears were very high, mm-hmm. and and the Bears did not get anywhere close to those expectations, and so I think a lot of people are trying to throw Matt Nagy out mm-hmm. already. But I think that he has a lot of tools to be successful, and year three is going to be really interesting to see what he's able to do. The difference right now between him and Lovey is Lovey was brought in as the defensive guy, and you saw the defense grow sure. right away. Nagy's been brought in as the offensive guy. And you've seen Trubisky make a jump in his second year, but then regress quite poorly in year three. And so I, I just don't think the ground is as sturdy for Nagy. I, I really like him. I echo what you say about the chemistry stuff. And that 2018 team was just so fun to watch because those guys looked like they were like genuinely having a blast winning those games together. And the, when the defense would do their dances in the end zone, it was just so much fun. And so I think he's been very instrumental in helping to grow and nurture that environment. But I, the if, Jeff, if, if he goes seven and nine this year, is year four the make or break year for him? They're obviously going to want some success this year, but I think that it'll be interesting to see if he gets a chance to develop a, a, a young quarterback. Like, let's take another crack at getting a rookie quarterback in and seeing what can happen in the future. But we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but I think that's probably the the break point is, is this the guy that we're going to trust with the next quarterback or are we going to go in a different direction and bring in a new guy uh, to develop a younger quarterback? That, that I think is going to be the, the key, but we'll see. All right. So we're going to move on to key players. So basically, we, again, we, we eight guys that are on the current roster. We're going to talk about them. We're also going to talk about the quarterbacks. We didn't want the, that to count against one of our eight guys. Uh, we're going to do something a little different here. We're going to spend, uh, because these guys are active in their careers, what we're going to do is we're going to compare these guys against the historical Bears. We're going to try to find some kind of comparison that we think where these guys might eventually fit in on Bears history. We're going to use the Windy City Gridiron Top 100 Bears list that was developed over last summer and came out to to rank the Top 100 Bears in the 100 years of Bears history. And so I'll read, when, when we get to those players, I'm going to read off the rankings for that individual position group, and then we're going to try to slot in where we think those guys fit. So try to have some fun with this. We're going to say see where these guys might might uh, key players from this decade so color era carry over uh, really the only guy that bleeds into this era that we talked about last time is kyle long but he has since retired which is why we talked about him last time and so all of the guys that we're going to talk about today are on the current team a couple of them of course did play when cutler was still here but that's you know we're, we're going to cover them here but we're going to start with quarterbacks 
Uh, we're going to start with Mitchell Trubisky and Nick Foles. Trubisky comes in to the Bears in the 2017 draft. So Ryan Pace trades up one spot to select Mitchell Trubisky, quarterback with not a lot of experience from North Carolina. I was very upset in the moment uh, because I I thought that that really exposed what I thought was a really weird and kind of terrible signing of Mike Glennon. And it exposed it to be an even crazier signing in the moment than it was. I was watching this draft with uh, with our mutual friend Sean, who's a Vikings fan, and he felt so bad at my reaction that he actually bought me a drink and was like, <laughs> you need to calm down a little bit. And, and uh, for me, it was, I just couldn't see a plan and it didn't make a lot of sense. I don't like trading up one spot and I felt like the three quarterbacks that were on the board, from what I could tell, it was really hard to discern anybody saying that you know, one was clearly above the others but for me it was very obvious that you would take Deshaun Watson because he had so much success in college and he was the most pro ready guy and that if you wanted to be able to have a pick that high up and you were going to take a quarterback that Watson would be the first guy off the board of course the context to this is that I made an incredibly rare Chicago radio spot before this draft and they asked me who I thought they'd take and I said, well, I think that they're going to try to trade down. But if they stay put, I'd really like to see them take Jamal Adams, the star safety mm-hmm. place for the Jets. I was very much in love with Jamal Adams, who's currently demanding a trade from the Jets. And they said, well, what about a quarterback? And I said, well, I don't see it. I don't know why you give all that money to Mike Glennon. But if they're going to go quarterback, obviously you're going to go to Sean Watson. <laughs> so I, you know, a rare spot in Chicago radio, and I sound really stupid. I think that the biggest problem that I had in the moment, and I think it's held firm to today, is that by trading up, you were saying that Mitchell Trubisky is so much better than those other two options that you're willing to give up all this additional additional draft capital to acquire his services rather than just sit tight and see what happens if, if Trubisky's taken it too, then you move to the next guy on your board, or maybe just take the chance that Trubisky's not going to be taking it too and you just sit there. And I just thought it was such a such a terrible way to play the board. Of course, the other two options, as I've mentioned, Sean Watson. The other guy, um, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I, as If you're a Bears fan, obviously you've heard about this and you're probably sick of hearing about this, but those two look like they'll be playing against each other in January playoff games for a long time to come. And as for Trubisky... It uh, definitely looks like he's not going to be playing <laughs> even in September or October, but um, we'll get to that in a second. Look like from the start, obviously, if you take Trubisky, you know that you're saying like, hey, he's raw and he's going to take a lot longer to come come together to, to be a successful quarterback. But you're taking him for what you have interpreted to be a higher ceiling. So Trubisky comes in in his rookie year, looks super raw. John Fox did everything that he could to hide him. Famously, the Bears won a game against the Panthers, where Trubisky went four for seven, only attempted Mm -hmm. seven passes. That was, of course, the Eddie Jackson two-touchdown game. Uh, Certainly, Trubisky, like, let's be absolutely honest, Trubisky's had some some success in 2018. He struggled at times, uh, but I think overall, when he was on the move, he looked like he could be a pretty successful quarterback because he had an element that required defenses to respect his legs. He got injured against the Vikings on, I would call it a late-ish hit by Harrison Smith, 
on what was a more awkward slide than anything. And I'm not sure that he's really recovered since that moment. And I'm not saying it's that particular issue, but there's a lot of things that maybe are spinning inside of his head from that from that play that it just has not recovered any of the efficiency that he at least had when he was running well. Uh, 2019 was, I think, disastrous is a fair word to put on it. I think his play cost the Bears a lot of games. I'm not sure that you can really interpret it any other way. Again, Trubisky defenders, and if you're listening, you're one of them. I'm not calling you out, but what I've heard over and over on Twitter and on the website is that, well, it's the play calling, it's the offensive line, it's the receiver drops, but okay, the truth is, you know, Trubisky just simply can't work through a progression, and he's not accurate enough with the football to be able to put his receivers in a position to catch it well and catch it on the run and continue to gain yards after the catch. And I personally just do not think that it's going to click for him in year four. I I want to go back because I was as mad as you, if not well, just, just as mad as you, when Pace drafted Trubisky. It, it made no sense then. It certainly doesn't look good now. But I, I did make the statement to you, well, Jeff, it'll be worth it as long as he becomes an elite quarterback and we win a Super Bowl. You pay any price for that. But that's clearly not going to happen. And so I have a personal grudge against Ryan Pace since that moment. I will probably never change my opinion on that. And I, I don't watch a lot of college football. It's just Clemson was always on. I, I hardly watch any football, but I, I saw I had to see seven, eight Clemson games in uh, Watson's last two years and just fell in love with him. I wanted the Bears to get him so bad. And it's just it's so disappointing what has happened because you – uh, Watson's granted QB rating isn't everything, but Watson has a career QB rating of 101. He's thrown 71 touchdowns, 29 picks. He's run for over a thousand yards already in his career during those three years. He's just, he's an amazing quarterback and it made no sense. The move made most no sense. Then it hurts now. And it's just very, very disappointing. And no, I, I, I agree with you. If it's going to happen for Trubisky, I don't think it's going to be here. I, especially with Foles coming in now, they've pretty much said that you're not the guy. They didn't pick up his contract. I know they did that with Kyle Fuller and it worked out, but I think those positions are very, very different. And so this is prior last year of Trubisky. And uh, you asked the question going in, is, is this one of the worst, if not the worst, move in team history? What is your answer to that? Is Is that trading up? to get Trubisky the worst move in Bears history. All right, so let me let me all right, let, let me do this. Let me finish with Foles and then let's get into some quarterback questions. So, okay. this offseason the Bears make a trade uh, for Nick Foles. They they burned a fourth round pick to be able to do it. They restructured his contract into what I am interpreting as an extremely player-friendly deal. Basically, not to get too deep into it, but basically if Foles plays well, he can escape the deal to hit the open market. It's a player option to get out of the contract. If he doesn't play well, the Bears owe him a lot of guaranteed money. It's It does not seem like a very good deal. And the Jaguars signed a pretty expensive contract with Foles, and the Bears gave them draft capital to take it on, which 
So there was a lot of talk about the Jaguars doing what the Texans did where, with Brock Osweiler, where they would trade to the Browns, uh, and the Browns would actually um, eat the deal plus get a pick. And I don't know if the NFL just didn't like that idea, and they were telling teams, hey, that's, that's not a good thing. But there was a lot of speculation that Foles might be that guy where somebody might take him on and get a pick to come with him so that Jacksonville could get out of that and go ahead with Gardner Menchu to kind of start their rebuild. But the Bears actually gave a fourth-round pick, and a lot of people, well, fourth-round pick, whatever. Ryan Pace, if you think that Ryan Pace is good at his job, which I think that he is a pretty good talent evaluator, he's really good with fourth-round picks. You want him to have more of those. He turns those into Eddie Jackson and Tariq Cohen. Like, you want Ryan Pace to have more draft picks at his disposal. And so to have to give up capital to try to shore up the quarterback room is tough. But anyway, that's what happens. So Foles, he's a guy that's never started a full season. This is going to be his sixth team change in his nine-year NFL career. Obviously, there's some positives. He has a familiarity with the coaching staff. He certainly had his biggest career success with the Eagles in a system that I would call a close cousin to this one. And so you can see what the what what Ryan Pace was doing and see what Matt Nagy was wanting by trying to acquire him. I think that they were very close in acquire in trying to acquire Andy Dalton from the Bengals. And I think that the Bengals just kind of held out and they wanted more. Uh, but I think it kind of came down to those two guys to try to solidify or give like a, a steady veteran presence to this to this offense that could run the Nagy system and so if nothing else kind of to answer that last question is you know we now have a veteran that's going to be able to run this system so we'll see what kind of play color Nagy is when he has a guy that will work through the progressions but let's ask a couple questions about the quarterback position so is the Trubisky pick the biggest mistake in Bears history or does it just feel that way because it's so fresh and then do you have a good comparison in the Bears history of what this move is like? I, I don't think it's the worst move. It's definitely a bad move. It's going to set the franchise back in some way, but at least had potential at the time. To me, the Rick Meyer move yeah. is still way worse because you're giving a first-round pick for a guy that has already shown to be a horrific NFL quarterback. Trubisky at least had the potential, and Trubisky showed flashes the last three years of, hey, he could be something. I don't think he's going to be something, but at the time, I get why Pace did it. I can't defend it in any way. I understand why he did it or why he thought he had to do it. It's still a horrible move, but it's not the it's not the worst move ever, no. I think that the Meyer move is probably the one that comes to mind the most and the one that makes me shake my head. <laughs> I think that people are going to say that this is the worst move, though, because passing up on two guys that look like they are off to a incredibly strong start, I think Mahomes looks like he could potentially be one of the best quarterbacks of all time. That's the kind of level of quarterback that he looks like he might be. Again, I'm not saying that I knew that Mahomes was going to be great. Um, that's not even no, my argument the whole no time. One, it's been about no Watson. one knew, right? No one knew that was no. going to be Mahomes, and he's landed if, in the perfect if, position with Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. It, I, you, we we can be plenty mad at him for not getting Watson because I thought Watson was the obvious choice. That was very very clear, and it makes me upset still thinking about it. But I, I don't blame uh, Pace at all for not getting 
Mahomes or having his eye on Mahomes. I don't think anyone saw that coming. So I think the best historical comparison to this is what we talked about back in the 50s episode, which was the Bears selected Bob Williams from Notre Dame, quarterback, high up in the first round. And then the very next pick was Y.A. Tittle, and he was redrafted uh, because he went back into the draft because uh, those Colts folded. And, and anyway, Tittle got drafted by the Niners and went on to have a Hall of Fame career. And so I think that's probably the closest comparison of a really high draft pick. The Bears are looking quarterback. They take a guy, and then the next guy is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, and that and that hurts. And Mahomes certainly looks like he's on the way to the Hall of Fame. Um, Watson, you know, if wins some playoffs games, gets in the Super Bowl, which I don't know if he's going to be able to do with uh, what's his face running the show down in Houston, but. Uh, but certainly has Hall of Fame talent. Absolutely. And he's a lot of fun. If you guys watch uh, Brian Baldinger's film room with uh, Watson, you can just see the type of guy that he is with Kurt Warner as the, the third guy asking a lot of quarterback questions. Very engaging, interesting guy. And he, he's been really good with the media. He's been explaining some things to the media about, well, they're running this coverage. And so that's why I threw it this way. And I, I thought it was actually He's speaking a little bit more real football to, to people than a lot of other quarterbacks who speak in sort of platitudes and, you know, well, our guys wanted it more, you know, that kind of thing. He's actually talking about actual football stuff, which I think is really cool. Uh, another quarterback question for you. Who do you think is going to start more games in 2020, Foles or Trubisky? Uh, Foles, but it won't be by much because Foles is going to get hurt. Yeah. It, it's, it's The evidence is pretty clear. I read a, I saw a great YouTube video showing on – Wow, Foles is actually really good at going through his progressions, but he does tend to hold on to the ball too long, and he's going to take some hits, and he's going to get hurt. So I could see it like Foles starts nine games, Trubisky starts seven, something like that. But I, I do think Foles will make it through the majority of the season. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Now here's here's the harder question. Will either of these guys be the primary starter in 2021, or do you think it'll be a new person? Well, I, I think it's still going to be Foles because – Unless we just absolutely tank this year, which I don't see happening, I think we're a contending playoff team. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have a high enough draft pick to get one of those good QBs in next year's draft. And so I think next year we're probably stuck with Foles again and maybe a second, third rounder, someone to develop. But I, I, I think it's Foles next year too. I agree. I think it's Foles for 2020 and 2021, and they bring in somebody else to kind of compete with him. And then in 2022, they're probably going to try to have to go up into the draft. would be interesting. There's some guys that are you know, uh, supposedly going to be high draft picks. The other weird thing about this is that we've got the pandemic. We've got COVID-19. We do not know what's going to happen to college football this year. We don't know if pro football is going to happen this year, but we don't know what's going to happen with college football this year. There's a lot of guys delay coming out if they have an abbreviated or, you know, no season at all. Do you, do you see the 2021 draft be really light on players or do you have it be really heavy on players because they want to come out and make money but they don't have any college tape very like there's so much weird stuff that's you know we don't have any idea of what's going to happen but my prediction is that there's going to be a young quarterback taking snaps in 2022 that's when i think the year is that they make the switch so jeff let, let me give me a let me give you a hypothetical here let's say this upcoming season is just worst case scenario we get five wins and we're like at the fifth pick right fifth or fourth pick 
would you be okay with Pace trading the farm to go get Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. I would too. I think that's the right move there. If, if you think he's the guy. Now, the thing is, would, would, would the whoever holds the first pick, would they be even willing to trade Probably out of that not. Pick? But here's. Is, is but, he that good that no one's going to trade out of it? I don't that think pick? anybody would trade out of it. And I think that, you know, if you're drafting up that high, you probably have a need for quarterback unless, you know, you have one of those weird situations where your quarterback gets hurt for the year and that's why you're bad and then you're looking to restock the roster but i think you're going back to your point this team has so much talent on defense which we'll use as a segue here to start the the players but this team has so much talent on defense that there is a floor of wins with this team and i'm not sure i think they kind of hit that floor last year and that was with hicks getting hurt and so if they say yeah. relatively healthy, I, I don't see a scenario where they go below seven wins. Like, I, I have a hard time seeing this be a six-win team or a five-win team. I'm not saying they're going to win 13 games, but I think that there is a there is a pretty high floor to this team because of all the defensive talent on the roster. Yeah, you'd have to have multiple injuries to those studs on defense to get down to four or five wins. I just – the defense is too good, and I think with Foles – Foles does an upgrade over Trubisky, albeit maybe not that big of a one as, as people think. But, yeah, I I think seven, eight wins is hopefully the floor. Well, let's start with these players. So Kyle Fuller is the first guy that we're going to talk about because he's the longest tenured starter on this squad. Last first-rounder of Phil Emery's GM ship. Uh, man, jeez, mm. whatever. But one pick after Aaron Donald went to the Rams. I think we were all expecting Donald to go to the Bears. I remember when the Rams picked him, I'm like, are you kidding me? What? The Rams already have a great defensive line. Why would they take this guy? Man, he should have been should have been there for the Bears. It was very disappointing. But I think Fuller's been a really nice consolation prize. He contributed right away as a rookie. He played in every game. He started 14. He earned his first start in week three, which was after Charles Tillman went out with his injury that would prove to be the end of his great run for the Bears. And so he really just took over for Charles Tillman. That was kind of how he got his first start. 2015, I think it was a little up and down, and then he missed the entire 2016 season with a knee issue. I don't know if you remember this, but starting off as like a really simple, like, oh, he's going in, he's kind of just getting some cleanup. Uh, it's, it should be a big deal. He's going to miss a couple games, but he'll be back. And then it just kind of kept getting pushed back. And then eventually they're like, uh, Kyle Fuller's on IR. And it was like, what? <laughs> what happened? Yeah. Uh, and, and for a long time, it looked like uh, he was not going to be a bear much longer after that because they did not pick up his rookie option. And uh, he really needed that big, was it 2017 season to to get re-signed yeah it looked like yeah hey you know maybe he's maybe he's just gonna get benched he's not even gonna play like he's just not people aren't really thinking much of him but 2017 you know plays pretty well gets a nice four-year extension 2018 balls out like he's incredible incredible, just incredible and i think when i'm thinking about fuller like the thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that he's always a willing tackler and he's a really good off-ball corner. And so if you're going to play him off the ball, he's incredible at that. When you're going to try to put him up as a press man corner, he, he struggles a little bit. He's not the fastest guy on the field, and he just doesn't necessarily have that same you know, ability that, say, like Prince Mukamara, who is a very good press corner, he, you know, if you put him on and try to have him fill that role, he's not necessarily going to do well. But when he's off the ball, very good. 
2018, he leads the league with seven interceptions. He also led the league with 21 passes defensed, and that was good enough to earn first-team All-Pro honors. Last mm-hmm. year, ran it back, uh, did made a Pro Bowl in Fuller. Is he's really quiet. He's not a showy guy. I think you see a lot of wide receivers. You see a lot of corners that are jawing back and forth all the time, and a lot of talking. Fuller's not that way. He's quiet, and he lets us play on the field, really talk for him. And so I, I really like Fuller. I think that he's just not he's not as well appreciated as other people. But let's talk about where we think he ranks currently in Bears history and or where we think he'll end up. So going back to that Windy City Gridiron list, here is the list of corners that made the top 100 list in order. So Peanut Tillman, George McAfee, if we're going to call him a corner, which I think this is the right move, Donnell Wolford, Benny McRae and Dave Weasel Witzel from the 60s, J.C. Caroline, and Tim Jennings. Where do you think Fuller ends up? Well, I even before you came out with that list, I thought he just reminds me a lot of Wolford. Yeah. Where they're both of similar size. I love watching Fuller just break on a ball. Like, and he's so aggressive. I think Wolford kind of played that way too. Uh, you can't really compare him to Peanut. I think they're very different types of players. But uh, I think he has the potential to be right up there with Peanut in terms of how good of a career he had in a Bears uniform at the end. Although I think they are very different players. So right now I'm putting putting him as more as a Donnell Wolford, who, again, was back when we did the 90s, was very underappreciated. He had a very nice career with the Bears and a very good playmaker for the Bears. And so I'm going to put him with Wolford right now. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on the exact same page. I think that... Right now, if, if let's say Kyle Fuller, you know, ended his career with the Bears, you know, just like an unexpected retirement, I think you'd slot him in somewhere around the Wolford neighborhood. And I think with another couple like strong years, I think he'll move ahead of Wolford. But mm-hmm. I think that even if he puts together, let's say he puts together four really strong years, and does he get up into peanut territory? I don't think so, because he does leave a lot of plays on the field where it seems like. Peanut not only didn't leave plays on the field, he created plays out of nowhere. Like he he was creating turnovers out of nowhere. And so I have a hard time seeing how Fuller could get up to Peanut level, but I think that he could comfortably be second behind Peanut as the second best corner in modern history. I I think Peanut's game aged so well where he was – somehow getting better yeah towards the end of his career and i i I just don't think fuller is that he's a different type of player i don't think uh you know i I don't know if he'll get re-signed after this current contract or not not for another long-term big contract but i i think he's tremendous i think he is ultimately going to be second to peanut which is pretty darn good company yeah absolutely so that was the 2014 draft that we're going to and we're doing these in in order of when they started playing for the bears so that that's the oldest move and then we're going to move to the 2016 free agency so this was this was ryan pace really making an impact statement here because he brought in two guys that have incredible leadership on this defense and i think really started the turnaround for this current iteration of the bears and that is danny trevathan we'll do trevathan first and then we'll do akeem hicks you have both of them yeah, Trevathan uh, went to SEC Powerhouse Kentucky and was actually SEC Defensive Player of the Year at Kentucky. And so 
I always think it's you know similar to Cutler when you can be that good at a school that is kind of second tier in the SEC. I think that says a lot about you as a player. But he's some for some reason a sixth round pick by the Broncos. Starts his career at outside linebacker. Once Denver moves to the three four under Wade Phillips, he becomes an inside linebacker, which he still is today. And you know had a pretty good career with the Broncos and was really probably the most sought after inside linebacker in that free agent class of 2016. Bears signed him four years, 28 million. It, one knock against him, you have to say, is he has had a tough time staying healthy for the Bears. He's really only played one full season, which was his 2018 season. But you can see when he is on the field, the Bears defense is clearly better. And we need him to stay healthy this year. And we need him to be one of those leaders that you mentioned on that side of the ball. And I've read a lot of stuff that gives him a lot of credit for not only being a team leader, but being like a, you know, one of those energetic guys, kind of guy that gets everyone else pumped up. And, and uh, so I, I love those types of guys and, just he's a fun guy to watch fun guy to watch how kind of animated he can get on the sideline or, or on the field and also too I think something that maybe doesn't get mentioned enough is uh, Roquan Smith has given him a lot of credit for kind of taking him under his wing and and showing him the ropes of how to be a an NFL inside linebacker and so uh, I, I'm a big fan of his it, do you want to go ahead and read the comparison? Oh, man, this is so brutal for linebackers because the Bears have such a good linebacker history. But here they are in order, for the again, from the Windy City Gridiron Top 100. It's Dick Buckus, Bill George, Brian Urlacher, Mike Singletary, George Connor, Joe Fortunato, Lance Briggs, Wilbur Marshall, Doug Buffone, and Otis Wilson. That's ten linebackers in the top one hundred players, and it's tough to yeah. say that not those like that's not we weren't reaching for those guys. That's ten players that all deserve to be top one hundred players. Yeah, and, and I mean you can't put him with any of the Hall of Famers. No offense to him, but he's just he, you know he's not that player because those players are once you know they come around they don't come around very often. But I, I chose Otis Wilson for him just because. Otis was a, an incredibly solid, great player for those teams, but didn't get quite the recognition because you had Singletary, you had Hampton, you had Dent, you had all those guys. And so for Trevathan now, he, you know, he's, you've got Mack, you've got Hicks, you've got Quinn right now too, which I think will get more billing than him. You've got Eddie Jackson. And so he's extremely important. You know, he, Even if the Bears do really, really well this year, it's tough to see him getting much recognition because I think that recognition is going to go to the top names. But I'm going to put him in that Otis, Otis Wilson category just because really good player on hopefully a really good team that is just, you know, he's not going to be one of the, the headliners for that defense. I'm right there with you. I think that he's somewhere in that Buffone wilson neighborhood if he ends up that way but you know he's he played through that contract he got re-signed this offseason because of his leadership i think leadership is incredibly important and so buffone was one of those guys who was a was a really good leader obviously buffone played for a really really long time and it was a really solid player and so buffone's going to have more years on him but that's kind of the guy that i was thinking about when i was thinking about danny was was more of a buffone type but i think we're on the same page and that's that's the right neighborhood not going to have those extreme highs but definitely someone who's worthy of talking about but the next guy definitely worthy of talking about Akeem Hicks you know uh usually I prefer the homegrown guys to be my favorite player Mm. but it's just something about Akeem Hicks like I'm willing to bet if, if you 
polled a lot of Bears fans. The people that don't say Mac, they might say Hicks. Hicks or Jackson. Jackson's homegrown, so maybe he gets the edge, but man, there's just something about Akeem Hicks. Like, how can you not love that man? Yeah. It's just the way he plays, the passion he plays with, how much fun he seems, and quite a, a fascinating route to the NFL. So he's, he's a stud in high school. He's all set to go to LSU, but then given violations by LSU that they committed, he can't go to LSU now. And so for some reason, he, he ends up in Canada, goes to like a couple different colleges in Canada, uh, dominates up there. But again, it's it's Canada. It's like we said, uh, don't Americans don't really look outside of America for NFL talent, but he gets invited to the East-West Shrine game uh, after his senior year, plays well there. Gets drafted by the Saints in the third round. He's he's an okay player. He's not really a full-time starter. Uh, they trade him to the Patriots for uh, a tight end, that Monty Malamula or something. Mm. Tight end for the – so he gets traded to the Patriots, plays one year for them. He's fine, and he's really an afterthought. He gets signed for two years, $8 million, which for a, a NFL veteran is, is a pretty small contract. And for whatever reason – Jeff, this guy's a stud. He's amazing. This guy's yeah. a stud for the Bears. 23 sacks his first three years. Interior lineman for the Bears. In a system that, I mean, uh, it's tough for that position to rack up those kinds of numbers. If, if you don't understand the value of Hicks, just go look at last year when he gets hurt. That defense was completely different. And it was the, the Bears' defense was still good, but Hicks takes them to another level maybe most beloved bear right now again i think mac probably is going to get it just because of how amazing mac is and rightfully so but you love hicks you love watching him play like he's he's our guy he's like he's one of us in some weird way like i just i love talking about him well hicks Jeff, what, what do you, you know, think of hicks i think what's interesting is that hicks he's not homegrown he's this is his third team all that's correct but he broke out with the bears yeah. Right. So he didn't true. have this amazing career, and then he came to the Bears as like this, you know, big free agent signing. He came to the Bears, and then he became like the best version of himself on the football field. And I, I remember I was really I listened to Michael Lombardi's podcast a lot when he was with the Ringer, and he was talking about Hicks because he was in New England. And how much they he's like, oh man, we just loved Hicks when he was in uh, when. When I was in New England, we really loved Hicks, and so we were trying to get him from the Saints. I can't believe we let him get away. And so I, his recollection was they loved this guy, and they they worked really hard to tr- get him in a trade with the Saints. And then for some reason they let him walk in free agency the next year. Yeah, that's odd. And so it, it, it's interesting that that happened. And you know, Lombardi loves him. Like he was, he's like, oh, Hicks is a blue chip player. He's one of the you know top two, three guys in the league at his position. And so, you know, that's how I've seen him since he broke out with the Bears is that, like, yeah, this guy is just a monster. He loves playing the game. He seems happy. That's a lot of these guys on this team. That's why there's so much fun to cheer for is that they seem to, like, really enjoy playing. He got hurt last year. Obviously, that really led to the defense going from incredible to, you know, merely really good. And so it's important for him to stay healthy. And, and I think you're right that he has just this infectious personality. And although he has only been on this team since 2016, it feels like longer 
because <laughs> it does. Yeah, but I think it's because he's he was one of those first building pieces to this new iteration, and so you see him as this pillar. And so when you look at the interior defensive lineman history of this franchise, it's pretty. There's some pretty good players, and so I'll read them here. Here's the here's the list: Hampton, Mongo, Fred Williams, Wally Chambers, Tommy Harris, Jim Osborne. So pretty good group. Where do you kind of see Hicks now, and where do you think he'll end up by the time he's done wearing a Bears uniform? Well, it, it's tough to like it's tough to say now because all those guys had pretty lengthy careers with the Bears, maybe outside of Tommy who had injury problems. But I'm I'm going with the Mongo comparison hmm. because again, you're always gonna kind of be second fiddle to uh, Mac, but man, Mongo was so good and. Here's here's a part of hope of for Hicks is Mongo was so good for so long right. because it's just consistent. I think if Hicks can stay healthy, he's going to be that type of guy. Like, I, I you know he's uh, let's see Hicks is I think thirty right now, so I don't know if he's going to put up you know eight and a half sacks again or do that consistently. But if he can just you know play the next few years and play at that level he was playing at before, then. Man, I think I think he's right up there with Mongo, especially if the Bears have some success, win a playoff game, maybe somehow get to a Super Bowl. Uh, and really, I'm I'm more also just choosing Mongo for like that kind of larger than life personality that Hicks has. That's what Mongo had to just kind of guys that just not a lot of nonsense, but just play football. They play it hard, and you just you identify with those guys. Yeah, I think right now I'm actually I was actually a little lower on that from a historical standpoint because Mongo was just around for so long that I kind of had yeah. it like like Wally Chambers and Tommy Harris were both guys that that they're very similar in that they had really high peaks. Uh, Wally Chambers had higher peaks, um, but they had also had an injury shortened career, and so I thought that okay, so because Hicks didn't play in Chicago his first you know what three or four seasons. Maybe it's somewhere around that area that that we're talking about because he's only been here for four years. And so it's probably like right now he's along that track. But I think that he, if you know, let's say he can stay healthy and he plays for, you know, two, three more seasons, which would be great. I would love it if it was five or six, but let's say two or three more seasons. I think that he can get behind Bongo and in front of the Fred Williams, Wally Chambers area. I really think that he's that good and that he has that much of an impact on this team that he could be third on that list. Yeah, I, and hopefully so. And I think for his position too, I think he'll age a little better than, say, uh, uh, other types of positions. But if he can stay healthy, I think he can get right up to what you're saying right behind Mongo. So let's move on to – I'm going to jump to the other side of the ball – and I'm going to talk about an offensive lineman. I wanted to talk about Cody White here. So 2016 draft, he's a second rounder. Pace actually made somewhat of a rare move for Ryan Pace in that he traded back to pick up an additional asset, moved down seven spots, and then still grabbed Cody Whitehair, who at the time, they say, hey, we think this guy's going to play on the line. We'll figure it out. We're not sure where he's going to play. Play tackle in college, but we think he's you know looks like a guard in the pros but we like his flexibility. We think he might even be able to play center. And I remember thinking, no, the guy's a guard. <laughs> like, I look at the guy, he's 6'3", 3'10", he's country strong. 
moves moves well. He's athletic, so you know he can be a mobile guard. But the guy's a guard, right? And so I was surprised that they really did push this idea that he, uh, you know, we think he can play center. He's played more center than he's played guard. He's very athletic and very strong. So, you know, again, as an interior offensive interior offensive lineman, this guy, you know, has all the tools to be good for a long time. Uh, you know, there was a moment there going into last season where you had you had Cody Whitehair, you had Kyle Long, who looked like we thought he was going to be really healthy. He was not. And, you know, James Daniels coming in. It's like, wow, this is going to really work. Daniels really struggled at center. They they flipped him back to guard, and, and Whitehair went back to, to center. And so it looks like that's probably his permanent spot now is that Cody Whitehair is going to play center. I still think he's a better guard, but again, sometimes like that it's circumstances and you want to get your best five on the field and put them in the position that makes you the best overall unit. I get that. Whitehair right now, he's the best offensive lineman on the Bears. I think he's... I think he's a good player. I don't think he's necessarily at the level of some of the players that we'll get to in a second. He's made the Pro Bowl once. He made it in 2018. I think it looks like, you know, probably like a top, you know, quarter of the league center, you know, maybe top eight, top ten center. Do do you think, though, his, his versatility maybe bumps him up a little bit and also the fact that he hasn't missed a start in his whole career. That is seems to... that is a nice thing to have because offensive linemen, you know, number one is reliability. And so the fact that he has been able to stay healthy, and again, the guy is built like a tank. He is country strong. And so I think that that's going to be good for him. As far as historical, you know, I think that maybe some of these guys – didn't play multiple positions because you don't necessarily want these guys bouncing around. I think that versatility is good, but all right, well, let, let's just let's just let's just do this. Okay, so from a historical standpoint, the Bears having a really good center is a really good invic- indication of good team success. So Bulldog Turner, Hall of Fame center in the '40s with a dynasty. You had Hilgenberg in the '80s, Crutes in the 2000s on a lot of really good teams there. Trafton in the 20s, they were good in the 20s. Uh, George Trafton's a Hall of Famer. Mike Pyle, considered a, a you know a really solid guy in the 60s. They won a championship there. And so some really good centers in this history. I'll just list offensive linemen. And man, there are so many. But let, let me just list them. And I'm going to kind of see where you think he's at. But Bulldog, you got Danny Fortman, Stan Jones, Joe Steidehar. Those are all Hall of Famers. Jay Hilgenberg, Ed Healy, Jimbo Covert, you know, Covert and Healy are in the Hall of Fame. Kruitz, George Musso, George Trafton, Musso and Trafton are in the Hall of Fame. Lyman, Link Lyman, uh, Joe Kopsha, your boy Joe Kopsha, Ray Bray, hmm. Mark Bortz, Dick Barwegian, Kyle Long, Mike Pyle, Big Cat Williams, Roberto Garza, and Tom Thayer. So those are that's the entire offensive line a lot of guys that made that top 100 list as you might expect uh, obviously a lot of the older players really good players on the line from the from the early part of the team where do you think Cody Whitehair fits into that historical piece when when it's all said and done I think it's really tough to say because like you said he's bounced around a little bit at the, at the positions but in terms of just uh in terms of quality on your in terms of how good he is to the roster I'm putting him in that Garza range, maybe the Thayer range, like really good offensive linemen who you can have a lot of success with. I can't I can't put him up towards the top because those are some 
pretty prestigious names, but he, you know, he's a good player. Uh, maybe not the ceiling of a Kyle Long, but one of his strengths is one of Kyle's weaknesses is Whitehair has been on the field the whole time. And so maybe somewhere in that Kyle Long to Garza to Thayer range, somewhere in there, which is a really good place to be. Yeah, I had highlighted Mike Pyle. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. The guy that basically played the whole 60s uh, at center with the Bears um, and really well thought of. I think that that's, but not a guy that had a lot of postseason honors. So I kind of had him there. Mm -hmm. And then I kind of had the peak more at like a Mark Bortz, who made a couple Pro Bowls, obviously played guard. But, Mm. you know, uh, so I I kind of had him in that range. I don't think that the peaks are going to be as high as Kyle Long, but I also think that his career's. Looks like, as of right now, that he's got a really good chance of making that a, a longer career. So that's kind of where I was at with him. But, again, you'd like to see more talent on the offensive line, but it's a good place to start when you have a good pivot guy. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to take a quick break, come back, and we're going to talk about the last four guys, and we're going to talk about a couple categories. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity – But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L. V-A-N-29.com. All right, Matt. So let's talk about Eddie Jackson. So (laughs) this is, uh, man, talk about Hicks being a lot of people's favorite player. Eddie Jackson. It'll be very interesting to see where we both go with that question here coming up between these guys. But Eddie Jackson comes in in 2017 in the draft. What can you tell us about him? Big-time recruit to Alabama. Starts his career at cornerback and then eventually gets moved to safety. His career at Bama was actually quite injury-plagued, and I think that's one of the reasons that the Bears got him in the fourth round is, number one, the injuries that he had in college, and also, two, a knock on him, which I think is ridiculous, is that, well, it's the classic Alabama argument. Well, he's surrounded by all these other future NFL players. Well, how good can he be? You and I both were pretty thrilled when we got him in the fourth round. I mean, again, I don't watch a lot of college football, but I knew Eddie Jackson. And so I was pumped. I was so pumped when we got him. And he becomes a starter very quickly. You mentioned the Carolina game earlier where Trubisky only throws seven passes, but Eddie Jackson got us these two touchdowns. And I think at that moment, it just reaffirmed for all of us Bears fans that, oh, yeah, that you know that was a great fourth-round pick by Pace. we got to give credit where credit is due. And, and you're, just, you're always looking for Eddie to make a play. And he's just been a playmaker his whole career. And his 2018 season was just was unbelievable. It was unbelievable, and uh, there's so many plays that stick out. One of which is, uh, honestly, the play that sticks out for me most that year was the play that got called back where they're playing the Cardinals. 
he gets the pick six, but I think Mack is offsides, and so it comes back. But just you, you got to see his instincts for how he knows when to break on a ball, how to break on a route, how to jump a route. He is just he is so much fun to watch. And what we're gonna get to this in a second, but I think Eddie Jackson is hopefully potentially what we wanted Mike Brown to be. Just a playmaker, a really fun guy to root for, and maybe maybe my favorite player on the Bears right now. And if if Mac Quinn Hicks stay healthy and those front three can put the type of pressure on the quarterback that I think that or that we all think that they can, I don't see how Eddie doesn't have another monster twenty twenty year. Like I think it's gonna happen. He's already a two time pro bowler in three years. He's he's a great player. He's one of my favorite players. Jeff, how much do you love Eddie? Oh my <laughs> god. Get right to it. It's how much do you love it's him? It's so much. I've been waiting for the Bears to come out with the like the nicer version of the Eddie Jackson jersey with the Sonon numbers because I'm I'm just I'm just begging them to come out with it so that I can buy it because because he's great and I love safeties. We've talked about this a lot. I love mm-hmm. safeties. Maybe this is the time to talk about the safeties that made the top 100 list and where we think he's going to be. Richie Pettibone, Gary Fensick, Mike Brown, Rosie Taylor, Dave Duerson, Doug Plank, Mark Carrier. That's the list. Seven guys that made the top 100. Uh, it bears history. And there's some really interesting names there. And I'm curious to hear where you think he's at, you know, already and where you think that we're going to project him to finish his Bears career at. Well, I, to me, it's Mike Brown. And it's it's so clear. And I'll give you some reasons why. So Eddie's played for three years. And so Mike Brown's first three years, approximate value of 31. Eddie has 30. Mike Brown in his first three years had nine interceptions. Eddie has uh, 10. And they both have that monster campaign earlier in their career. Their Their second years were both monsters. Mike Brown's 2001, Eddie's 2018. And they both followed it up with a slightly less productive year, but their sophomore years were so incredible, it was going to be hard to to back up those numbers again. And so, you know, this is the point, though, because Mike, Mike Brown's first four years, he plays every game. And then the injury bug hits him. And so where can Eddie go? I think Eddie is on route to be the best safety in Bears history as long as he can stay healthy. Mike Brown was on that route, but then Mike Brown... In his fifth year, only plays two games. His sixth year plays 12. His seventh year only plays six. His eighth year only plays one game. Just couldn't stay healthy. And so to me, it's it's, it's if Eddie stays healthy, he's on track to have a fantastic uh, Bears career. And especially right now with the pass rushers that we have, I think the sky's the limit for this guy. And I, I just love Eddie Jackson. I love him so much. I, I'm right there with you. I love Eddie, and I think that you're right on. And to say that this really just echoes Mike Brown so much, early career Mike Brown, that it's like this guy's really exciting. I think he's better than Mike Brown. I think he's just, uh, but I, I mean, what are you gonna do? Like, I mean, he just, he just seems like he's just a little bit better in coverage. And Mike Brown had such a, a nose for the ball, which was incredible. But Eddie's right there, man. And so he's already been putting together some iconic plays. And I agree with you. I think that if Eddie has that career that he's currently on a path for and the front seven remains dominant so that you can actually have a free safety that makes sense to have. We talked about this with Mark Carrier, right? Like 
you have a free safety, but you don't have anything in front of it. It's like a Maserati on a gravel road. Doesn't you can't drive it, <laughs> right? It doesn't make any sense. So as long as you continue to have a good, strong front seven, that safety is going to be able to make plays. And so Eddie Jackson's in an incredible position to continue to rack up postseason honors. And I don't think it's that far of a stretch to say that he can be the best safety of all time. And I don't think it's a stretch to say that he, again, it's really early in his career, but I don't think it's a stretch to say that he could be a Hall of Fame safety. You know, and, and for that to happen, I, I totally agree with you. But, you know, for that to happen, the Bears got to get to some Super Bowls. The Bears got to win a Super Bowl. Eddie's got to have those pass rushes in front of him, like you said. And But just like Mike Brown, Eddie's got a nose for football. And I love watching Eddie diagnose the play quickly, break on it, and make just a, an amazing play. And and uh, hopefully stays healthy. He's been pretty healthy in the pros. And so hopefully that continues. And uh, I'm just excited to watch this guy's career unfold. So the next guy, and I'm actually kind of surprised at the results of our player draft for this round because you let me have a wide receiver, but you took a mm-hmm. defensive lineman and you took Eddie Jackson. I thought I was going to get Hicks or Jackson with my second pick, but you took those two guys and you let me have Allen Robinson. So I'm not quite sure what's going on because I know how much you love wide receivers, but Allen Robinson comes to the Bears in 2018 free agency. He was originally a second-round pick out of Penn State to the Jaguars in the 2014 draft. Spent his first four years there, tore his ACL in the 2017 opener. And, Matt, I don't know if you remember this, but we were actually watching games together that day. That was the year that your fantasy draft was held on opening weekend because we couldn't get together before that. And so we all got together, drafted our teams, and then watched games. And remember that breaking news that Allen Robinson, hey, he just tore his ACL, he's out for the year. And obviously the thing was like the guy that had drafted him, you know, 30 minutes yeah, earlier. Had a, had a bit of a meltdown. Right, yeah. had a little bit of a meltdown. That's, that's a tough break. But I remember at the time, I swear at the time I said, oh, this guy's going to now hit free agency. The, the Jaguars aren't going to potentially, you know, sign him coming off of an ACL. He might hit free agency. I really think the Bears are in a good position to, to, to sign this guy. I love Allen Robinson. And so I started beating this drum for Allen Robinson the whole season. I kept, oh, no, Jaguars, they'll tag him, they'll, you know, whatever, they'll, they'll do all this stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I think he's going he's gonna to shake loose. And one of the rare th- times that I was able to actually predict something like this happening far ways away because the Bears went out and got him. Big offseason signing for the Bears in 2018. I think he looked pretty good in 2018. He certainly didn't look like as good as he played in 2019, but that happens with an ACL. Usually that first year back, you look not quite 100% recovered, but obviously you're good enough to to play and, and make a difference. 2019, though, wow. I mean, this guy looked amazing. He was roasting people every single week. He put up 98 catches, 1,147 yards, seven touchdowns on a team that could do nothing on offense. (laughs) Yeah. He's a precise route runner. He can move the chains with possession routes, sure. He was also incredibly dynamic in Jacksonville with Blake Bortles, of all people, going downfield on deeper balls. And so I think he has that ability too. But right now, at least judging by his 2019 kind of reminds me of a Keenan Allen type player and you know how much I like Keenan Allen yes you do. and so I I love watching Allen Robinson run routes incredible route runner he's entering the final year of his three-year free agency deal 
I'm surprised he hasn't signed an, an extension this offseason. I really thought that that was going to happen. But I don't think they should let him get away. I think that his thousand-yard campaign, it already puts him in really select company in Bears history because there's not a lot of thousand-yard wide receivers. But if he can back that up this year, he'll tie the franchise record with two 1,000-yard years, uh, which is sad, but it is what it is. What I find really weird, I did some you know, some stat work on Robinson this offseason. It was something I did basically because I You wrote a great article, Jeff. Our listeners need to go check it out. You wrote a great article for Windy City Gridiron. Just very stat heavy, amazing for our stat heads that love that stuff. So go ahead. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll link to it with this episode. But I think the what the reason why I did that was because I was hearing so much like, oh well, he's just he's not that good. Robinson's just not that good. And it was like, I maybe we just have a different opinion of what football is. But <laughs> Alan Robinson is really good. But I I want to actually challenge myself when I hear stuff like that and say, okay, well, is he just, you know, was this just the volume thing? Like, what was this? And so I went back and I, I did some stat work and, and every advanced statistic that I could find, he's up there. Like he's up there with, with the wide receivers. And the only thing that people are like, well, he didn't have any yards after catch. Okay. That's not his fault. Like that's, that's something that's where the ball is placed if you hit if you're hit in stride and then that's the type of route that you're running if you're running a lot of possession routes to move the chains and a lot of safer throws those throws are being caught and then immediately tackled and that's not necessarily the receiver's fault unless you think that you know it's Anquan Bolden and you know you're going to break tackles every every route that's just not who he is and so i i've never really understood that criticism but he's honestly he is a wide receiver one, and if you don't think so, I'm not quite sure what you expect out of a wide receiver one. I when you know when you look at Bears history, there is not a great wide receiver history, not like a lot of other positions. And so when you talk about this position, it is actually pretty easy to say like you know a guy that's only been here for two years, and one of them was fine, and then the second one was really great. You start to say like, well, man, this guy's this guy's moving up the rankings. <laughs> and so, like, here's the list of wide receivers for, for for all-time Bears in the top 100 list. So it's Harlan Hill, Johnny Morris, Ken Cavanaugh, Brandon Marshall, Dick Gordon, Marty Booker, Alshon Jeffrey. So seven guys made it. Where do you see Robinson uh, finishing up his Bears career? Uh, right now I had him as a Marty Booker type just because yep. he's, he's only been here two years. And he hasn't quite put up the stats that Marshall put up his first couple of years because Marshall's first couple of years was incredible. Right. If he re-signs with the Bears, keeps putting up the numbers that we know he can, he's probably going to go down as the best receiver in Bears history. And I don't think it'll be that close as long as, you know, if he finishes out this contract, signs for another four years, puts up good numbers, I, he's clearly the best wide receiver in Bears history. Am, am I wrong there? No, I, I, you actually, we are 100% in alignment here because I had Marty Booker highlighted. I think that right now he's around the Marty Booker level. Booker had a couple of really nice seasons for the Bears. Fun player to watch. I think he's more talented than Booker, but like Booker is a good player and, and happy to talk about Marty Booker as a good player all day long. And I think that 
when you and, and you know Dick Gordon around that area too. Dick Gordon had that one really big year, so I, I think that's that's probably the neighborhood that he's at already, just just with a couple years. And I think that you're right. He has to get re-signed, and he's got to play you know an additional four or five seasons, which is not crazy for a wide receiver to to play for that long. So I think he's got to play another four or five years, and in that time, again, stays healthy and all that, he's gonna have the most yards by a wide receiver. And so he, you know, he's going to be more productive than Johnny Morris. And so then you're going to have that conversation of, well, you've got Harlan Hill, who was incredible in the 50s and had really high peaks to the point where he won an MVP award. To compare that the high peaks but short career because of an injury to a guy that's putting it up in the modern era for longer, you know, again, assuming he plays for seven or eight years for the Bears, he's going to hold all the records. And so I think that, yeah, he's got a real chance to be the top wide receiver in team history. You know, and he's still only 26 years old. He's, he's young. That is absolutely August. true. Yep. And so, it, I mean, honestly, if, if he has a real productive year, I'd be fine with signing him longer than four years, maybe five years. Now he's 32 at the end of that contract. Like you said, good route runners tend to age a little better than guys that game is based off speed and quickness and so I, I'm really hopeful for him, and I and I hope he I hope in five six years we get to say that he's the best receiver in Bears history. Definitely. All right. What about a young linebacker from the 2018 draft, Roquan Smith? We mentioned Roquan <laughs> a little bit earlier. I know we are both big Roquan fans. Go ahead. It's it's weird that we're doing a guy that's only been in the league two years, but I guess Eddie was only in the league three years. So, but this is fun to do. Uh, SEC Player of the Year, Georgia. First round pick had a bizarre contract dispute over guaranteed money in, in his contract. And again, I usually always side with the players on this stuff. And in this case, I did too. I think this made the Bears' management look pretty, pretty bad for what was going on. But let's get past that, Jeff. This guy ran a 4.51 at the combine <laughs> in the middle linebacker. Yeah. It's like this guy is just a stud. Now, his freshman campaign gets, you know, it's a little sidetracked because of that holdout. And his first game for the Packers, like, I don't think he had signed the contract more than a couple weeks before. And so I, I watched that game with you. And when he would get in, I swear all Fangio did was just have him blitz. But he's really good at it. You got to see, like, this guy's burst, this guy's athleticism, and just a really, really potentially good, if not great, player. And my my favorite thing about him is, that playoff game against the Eagles, going into that game, I had a dream that Roquan had like this huge interception. And then it, sure enough, and I don't I don't get my dreams are always so weird, so random. I don't dream about actual stuff that could happen. I just know how my dreams work. But I had this dream about Roquan, gets this interception and we win the game versus the Eagles. Didn't quite work out that way, although it was very close to working out that way, but um his second year he, he seems to be even better and then he gets hurt at the end i love this guy i know you love this guy i don't think that's the consensus on him though i think there's a lot of people that are kind of critical of him which i don't really get are you hearing things like that like a lot of people don't think he as good as i or you think he is you know he didn't start off on a strong note because of the contract dispute and then he missed the Packers game, and, and Nick Krakowski got exposed by Aaron Rodgers in that game. I think that if Roquan has a normal contract signing and he's in for the camp and he earns the starting job and he's playing on that first week, the Bears are going to win that game. 
Right. And so I think that there are people that I honestly think that was the difference because it was he really Rogers really picked on Kwiatkowski. And so I think that there's a little bit of like off on the wrong foot with the fandom. Okay. And then last year he had seemed like maybe a little bit of a hiccup mentally with 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 himself and just wasn't in the right place. There, and so, there was that odd moment where I, I'm are we still even quite sure what happened? I, I no, dug we're into definitely it, not sure what happened. And you know anything. what? We don't. It doesn't matter. Like you know, like doesn't we matter. don't have we don't have a right to know those things. Like that those personal nope. and that I have no problem with that. And and but I think a lot of people do. And there's a lot of like old school mentality of like, well, you know, this guy's soft or whatever. It's like, stop it. Like, again, the Brandon Marshall stuff, right? Mental health stuff, really important. I don't even know if it was mental health, but like, I think that's, that's what I'm reading between the tea leaves is that, you know, he just, he just needed to get his head straight. And so it seemed like he got it figured out and he came back and he was playing well. And then this off season, he, you know, had some pictures, you know, during the pandemic, there were some pictures that floated up with him and, you know, adult film star yeah, and all that. And yeah. like, you know, you're young. He's 22. Who cares? He's 22. Like, have fun. I mean, come on. Like, you know, I, I'm he, certainly not He would fit that. in perfectly on the 85 Bears, Jeff. I would love that <laughs> I guy. think the only thing was the probably, you know, for me, it's like, well, it's a pandemic, dude. Like, maybe, maybe don't be, yeah, you know, know yeah. but with people. But like the other thing, like who he's with, like, who cares? Have fun. So I think there's a little bit of that with him right now, but yeah, he's so good and he seems like a good guy and like I, you know, he fits in with this team and I, you know, I have no problem with him, but I think you're right that there's a little bit of Roquan backlash, but I think that that's misguided. I I thought he was better his second year. I thought he they were asking him to do a lot more now since he's not a rookie. I thought he responded. I thought he was playing great. Yep. Jeff, my theory on this is since he was a first-round pick by Pace, and Pace had drafted Leonard Floyd, uh, Mitch Trubisky, and Kevin White, that people are just waiting for this guy to be a failure, and uh, it's it's not fair at all. He's been very, very good for two years. We'll see what happens this year. I, I'm expecting a Pro Bowl caliber year for him. I think he's going to be that good. I think he's got the people in front of him that... He can just utilize his speed, tackle everything in sight, make some plays. I think he's very good at blitzing the quarterback as well. I think it just has a instinctual timing on that. And so I'm expecting, no, Jeff, I'm calling Pro Bowl season for Roquan this year. Nice. Well, let's talk about the history. Like, again, bring, bring back that linebacker list. And the, the tough part about this is that inside linebacker in a 3-4 is a little different than middle linebacker in a 4-3. But, I, you know, mm-hmm. again, I think that in the modern NFL, it doesn't get as much notice that, that it should. But there's still an ability to be a star as an inside linebacker in a 3-4. Ray Lewis was an inside linebacker in a 3-4. But let's talk about – let's bring that list back up. Buckus, Bill George, Brian Erlacher, Mike Singletary, George Connor, Joel Fortunato, Lance Briggs, Wilbur Marshall, Doug Buffone, Otis Wilson. Obviously, Roquan is incredibly young and early yes. in his career, but given the start, where do you see him fitting into that list? I, I think his ceiling is right around that Fortunato, Briggs, Marshall level. Mm-hmm. Guys who are really, really good. Maybe not Hall of Fame, but I think that's his ceiling, but uh, his floor, I, I, I mean, you can't really put his floor on that list, but his floor, I think, is still a really, really good, solid playmaker at the inside linebacker position. And 
I'm just I'm so excited to see what he can do this year. So I actually thought Briggs because if you if you think about the the four three outside linebacker that Briggs played, and the mm-hmm. inside linebacker and the three four that mm, Roquan yeah. plays, they're yeah. actually kind of a similar in terms of like uh, importance to those defenses. And so I kind of saw those two players as being like really talented. I think Roquan's more talented. Yeah, God, that's really tough to say. Briggs was Briggs was plenty talented. Roquan just has maybe more physical abilities. Yes, more more physical talent. Yeah, and so I I kind of to me he's kind of just popped out to me as a Briggs player. So that would be awesome. All right, <laughs> that would be incredible. All right, so the last guy. So we, again, this is our eleventh uh, episode. We're looking into the future. We've we've talked about the entire Bears history. Uh, it's Khalil Mack, and the podcast series is called Hallis to Mack. And we started all the way back with George S. Hallis founding the Bears, the first person that we talked about. And so the last player that we're talking about is Khalil Mack, the biggest acquisition in team history. Uh, question mark <laughs> I think it might be I know we talked about Cutler at length uh, being this huge acquisition but this is getting someone who is widely considered as one of the best top three defensive players in the league certainly Hall of Fame caliber defensive player at a pos- like prime position uh, you know rush linebacker edge defender uh, that can rush the quarterback is the most important player on the modern defense and in the prime of his career, only four years into his career, he instantly became the face of this franchise, represents the future of this organization. Now, the Bears, I get this, you know, it's tough to say exactly where I came up with the name for this, but the Bears, during their promotional giveaways for this last season, the 2019 season, they gave their season ticket holders this really nice, attractive tin that has this nice border around it that talks about the timeline of the Chicago Bears. And then inside of it, there were two bobbleheads. One bobblehead was George Hallis, and the other bobblehead was Khalil Mack. And I paid Mm. a little bit of money to be able to acquire somebody selling this tin with their (laughs) bobbleheads. So for me, what that tells me is that the Chicago Bears know what they have in Khalil Mack. They did not put Mitchell Trubisky on a bobblehead. They put Khalil Mack. They know how big of an acquisition this was. They know that this guy is their franchise right now. 2014, first-round pick out of Buffalo to the Raiders, fifth overall. Made three Pro Bowls in four years. 2016 NFL Defensive Player of the Year. Two-time first-team All-Pro for the Raiders. Obviously a stud. Everybody knows it, except for John Gruden, who says... Eh, defense wasn't very good last year. Why don't we go ahead and just trade him out? And so, I, you know, Gruden's entertaining, blah, 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 but you know, I don't really understand this move by Gruden. I think you build around a guy like Khalil Mack. But, hey, whatever. Makes him available. Says he needs two first-round picks for him. So Ryan Pace goes out, and he says, okay, you can have my 2019 first-round pick, and then we'll swap 2020 first-round pick for your 2020 second-round pick which is, and some change. There's some other picks involved there. And they made it happen. And then Khalil Mack signed a gigantic extension and then came in right before the year starts. And so let me stop right there. And I'm going to ask you, what was your reaction when this happened? Oh, it's bizarre to say, but I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. I was at our old house. I was downstairs on the couch watching ESPN. Came across, I think you and I called each other and it was just like, 
it was it was shocking. You you mentioned the Cutler trade, but Cutler's trade was more about potential. Here's this young quarterback right. that can become something. Max already arguably the best defensive player in the league, and it was just going to be a perfect fit on the Bears. You and I got to watch that first game together because uh, we had a buddy that had a wedding. You were back in town. We watched the game, and that first game against the Packers, it was just it was just nuts, Jeff. Just nuts. Well, uh, where were you when you heard about the trade? Yeah, uh, I I actually you know Twitter obviously. And it looked like, hey, you know, maybe he's actually going to get traded. And I remember kind of floating off to sleep thinking like, ah, this might this might happen. Like the Bears seemed like they might be able to pull this thing off. And then in the morning, like first thing woke up, Twitter found out. And it was like, I went nuts. And I there's evidence of this on my Twitter account because I just kept tweeting out all this crazy stuff about Mack and how excited I was. And they really did capture like, my excitement level and and it's really like there's three moves that we've talked about in our lives it's getting cutler so finally getting a quarterback it's signing julius peppers which was Mm -hmm. this guy who was like already this absolute stud to come in and like make take this defense to the next level and then it was getting khalil mack who again a top i I, i'd say top three defensive player in the league you know von miller and aaron donald and I, I don't know that you can put anybody else in there. Because, you know, J.J. Watt's not in that category anymore. This is an incredible move. And it's like, yeah, Khalil Mack, linebacker to the Bears. Absolutely. Like, this is this is where he should be. It felt like destiny. It felt like, yes, there's no doubt that this is the team that he should be at. This is the guy. He will be more loved in Chicago than he would on any other franchise. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where, where do you think he stacks up? I think, first of all, if we, if we put it in the context of he's already a stud. He's He already had a first-team All-Pro honor in Chicago in 2018, 2019. He's a pro bowler. And so even though the sack stats weren't there, if you're actually watching football, he is impacting every single offense that, he, that they're playing against. And, you know, it's either quarterbacks are going to roll the pocket or they're going away from him, or they're going to try to get the ball out incredibly fast. Like that ball is coming out when they hit their third step because they don't want anything to do with Mac. Teams are throwing three blockers at him. Put you know they'll keep a back end. They'll keep they'll keep a tight end over there. Like they're trying everything that they can do to slow him down and, and to try to limit his impact. And so people are like, well, he didn't have a lot of sacks. I <laughs> like you're not watching football right. <laughs> like that's that's not how you watch football. Absolutely, it's not it's not a it's not an accounting exercise. You know, football is, is how you're impacting a game, and he's impacting every single play. And so I don't care if the stats weren't there. His pressures were. I, I, I'm, I'm incredibly impressed with how he plays, how he carries himself. I went to camp this year, and he he walked along the autograph line. And I, I, don't, I don't have – you know, I'm not a big autograph hound or anything like that. I just wanted to kind of stand there and kind of see what was going to happen. And so – he just keeps walking around and then this like kind of i was on the fence and then this like press of humanity just kind of keeps like pushing me against the fence and just you know it's hot it's summer it's kind of smelly like it's just like so many people and then i'll never forget this there's this woman who's got a little child like a like an infant child and she's yelling mac sign the baby 
sign the baby, Mac. <laughs> Mac, sign the baby. And I'm like, what is happening? This is the most bizarre thing in the world. And he's just like calmly like, well, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, I appreciate it. No, oh, yeah, yeah, thanks. Oh, oh, Jersey, yep, 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 good. Just, again, this is the star player taking the time to walk the autograph line. You know what? A lot of the other guys are walking the autograph line that day. They're the guys that aren't making the team. You know, you know, cool for kids, you know, to 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 be able to get an autograph. But, you know, this is the star player. And so I, I just just want to kind of put that into context of like he has embraced that role. And, you know, me like I'm not the guy that gets the jersey of the best player on the team. I'm usually the guy that's like, well, this is my favorite player, you know, like kind of show my fandom like, well, it's like the fifth best player of the team. But it's my guy kind of thing. Yeah, I bought a Mac jersey. Because I yeah, really, I really wanted the '30s throwbacks, and I just, I'm so impressed with Mac that I, and and I, I just, I pulled the trigger this off season. I'm like, you know what? I want that '30s jersey in my, uh, in my closet, and there's a Mac jersey available. He's on a Hall of Fame trajectory. I think that we can both agree to that. And mm-hmm. I think if he stays healthy, he's going to wear a gold jacket. And so it's very interesting to try to put him in Bears history. So let me read edge defenders in that top 100 list because I think he do, he doesn't get matched up against linebackers. We need, we need to talk about him in a pass rusher sense. So edge defenders in order, Doug Atkins, Richard Dent, Bill Hewitt, the offsides kid, Ed Sprinkle, Julius Peppers, George Wilson, Ed Obradovich, Alex Brown, Mike Hartenstein. So that's nine guys, nine edge defenders that made that top 100 list. And I think that right now, based on, let's say, you know, he doesn't really do much after this, or maybe just got one more year that he does something, it's Julius Peppers. That's where he's at right now. Played for a different team, came in, had a huge impact to take the defense up a level, and played incredibly well. You know, Peppers was incredible his first three years in in Chicago, and Mack has been incredible his first two years. And so I think that 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 comparison makes a lot of sense. And then I think, what is his ceiling? I think it's Doug Atkins. Like, Doug Atkins played for Cleveland. He was acquired with much less capital, a third round and a fifth round pick off the top of my head. Played for a really long time. And then, of course, played a couple years uh, in New Orleans to finish his career. But, you know, Doug Atkins is the best edge defender in team history. I think that Mac could get there. That's how good he is. I mean, I think Mac. I think has the opportunity to win another defensive MVP award. And I think if he does that, I think he, he gets in that Atkins and Dent range. I, I echo your sentiments exactly on the Peppers uh, situation and both similar and okay, they didn't start the careers there. They're at the top of their game and they come to the bears and they continue that. And uh, yeah, I, I think sky's the limit for him. If, if he can, stay productive for another three, four, five years, and the Bears win a Super Bowl during that time, I'm, I'd be very comfortable putting him up with just about anyone in Bears history. He's not going to probably touch Dent's production numbers because Dent just was kind of a freak, played for a long time. But talent-wise, he's you'd have to argue he's the best we've ever had. Uh, but in terms of where do, you, where do you put him on this list, I'm, I'm comfortable with him peppers on up anywhere in there i think you can make a very sound argument for well that's and, and that's five hall of famers right i mean atkins that's five Dent, hall of famers hewitt and ed sprinkle and peppers will be right Ed sprinkle going and, and, in this year with a senior committee vote and, and, and i don't think max 
again, if, if Mac's career continues like it is, he's not going to have to wait very long. Like he's going to probably be a first ballot all famer. And so, you know, that, that's pretty rare territory. I mean, Sprinkles senior committee vote, Dent had to wait a long time to be able to get in there. And, and again, I know that the first four years were played in Oakland, but you know, this is a guy that he has that potential. This is like Eddie Jackson with with less competition for that position. Eddie Jackson, we think, can be the best safety in team history. But Mac has much stronger competition. We're talking about five Hall of Fame players that, you know, have some impact on this team. I, you know, it's hard to, to say that he's not going to be in that company. And you're right. I think that we're going to get to this just here in a, in a minute. But it's going to be hard for him to reach career Dent stats, but Dent is probably going to have a lot more years in there. So the, yeah. the peak, though, you know, when you're talking about top three defensive players where you could win a defensive MVP, uh, you know, that's not that's not something that Dent ever did. And so you could have a little higher peak, but your your length of, of career in the Navy and Orange might not be quite there. To take it even a little farther, Jeff, it's tough to quantify just how much he makes everyone else's job around him easier. Absolutely. For for Atkins, Hewitt, Sprinkle, that's really tough to do given that there's not a lot of footage, you don't have the advanced stats. Uh, for Dent, Dent's playing with uh, two Hall of Famers, one across the other way in Dan Hampton and with a, another linebacker in Mike Singletary. It, like you mentioned, Mac is double or triple teamed almost every single play. If, if he gets single... Uh, if he's only blocked by one guy, it's a three-step drop. Get rid of it. But just the impact that he makes on every single play, like you said, it you could almost argue he's the best edge rusher in team history, even at this point, for how big an impact he has on every single play. Well, and I think that's why they went out and signed Robert Quinn, because they really lacked that that other piece. They needed and then, of that course, guy. Hicks yep. hurt. You know, we, you know, Den always talked about the rule of three, which was – you know, the three pass rushers, and then, you know, they can't double team everybody, and, and you can have an effective pass rush. And we've joked on my other podcast with, with EJ Snyder that it's really a rule of two when it's, when it's Mac and Hicks um, because those guys are so good. And so you add in Robert Quinn and a healthy Akeem Hicks with Kulo Mac, and it's going to be scary. And I think that Ryan Pace thought, this is what we have to do. We have to protect this amazing investment that we have in Khalil Mack by adding another dynamic pass rusher and to, to really unlock the full potential of Mack. And so that that Quinn signing was as much about let's get the most out of Mack than it was anything else. And I think that that's why I'm so excited about what Khalil Mack's going to put on the field in the, the, the 2020 season because I think he's got the potential to win Defensive Player of the Year this year. Are you making that prediction, Jeff? Let's this do it. Prediction let's show. do it. <laughs> Defensive player of the year. I'll, You'll, honestly, I would put money on Honestly, I, I could see Quinn getting more sacks than Mac. Right. But Mac still is defensive player of the year. Right. Just because his, his gravity is so immense. Yes. And he's so good at, at strip sacks. And so he, he, yep. he does has that, that really that great nose for popping the ball out. So, all right. So that's Mac. That's, you know, Hallis to Mac. Like, that's that's the last player. So the last uh, thing we're going to do is we're going to do some categories, you know, definitely amended categories. Some of them are the same, uh, but some of them are, are very different because we have a very different approach here because, you know, there's not a lot to reflect on. We're, we're kind of predicting. So the first one is team records that we think 
we at least we want to talk about the potential for them being broken in the 2020s. And so the first one, which I think is kind of a free square on the bingo card, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but single season passing yards and single season touchdowns. It just has to be broken in the 2020s. It's still Eric Kramer from the 90s, 38, 38 for yards and 29 touchdowns. Again, if that's not broken in the 2020s, I think like, I I don't even know. That has to be the free the free square on the bingo card, though, right? Well, I I don't see it being broken by Trubisky or Foles, and so it's going to have to be whenever we get that good rookie QB to come in and develop. So it might not be for a while, Jeff. So I, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a. It's the Bears. It's not a free bingo square when it comes to anything <laughs> dealing with the QB. That's all I'll say on that. Oh my God, I, it has to happen though. It's just uh, I, I I won't accept the reality that does has the Bears staying under thirty eight thirty eight for the entire twenty twenties. But anyway, here's one that I think is pretty interesting. So Charles Tillman has nine defensive touchdowns. Eddie Jackson has five. Do we think that oh, wow. Eddie Jackson will break that team record? Wow, what a great one. I mean, you hope so. And you think if he's going to make uh, a leap towards that, it's going to be probably this year and next year when you still got Matt Quinn and Hicks performing at high levels. But, I mean, the, with the dynamic player he's shown to be, uh, if he can stay healthy, I'm going to say, yeah, he's he's going to get there because uh, he'll get a lot more pick sixes than I think Peanut had. I think a lot of Peanuts came on fumble fumble recoveries no, things like that am i wrong yep oh yeah, well never mind sixes, but he forced a lot of fumbles but he didn't like pick them up and run them in for touchdowns that was other people okay i i think he does i think he does break it and i think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch him but i think the biggest reason for that is that he's now back into the free safety role they signed a guy who's a more traditional strong safety as opposed to haha clinton Dix last year who really was a free safety, more comfortably a free safety, and they really played Jackson. I, yeah. I don't want to say out of position, but they played him in more of a traditional strong safety role, and he was more – Yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, yeah, and so I think that they, they corrected that this offseason by, by really just kind of getting a, a more traditional strong safety and letting Eddie play free safety here and more Let him fielder. be the center fielder. Absolutely. Go get it. That's what he does. That's what he does. It's kind of like – well, we're not going to let Devin Hester return kicks anymore. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> like, this is exactly what this is. The only thing you should be doing is returning kicks and punts you know, before you do anything else with him. And so I think putting Eddie back where he's most effective is going to be give him the opportunity to start getting closer to that. That's a nine defensive touchdowns is a really big number. But again, I think Eddie Jackson is so good with the ball in his hands that, yeah, he's, the more opportunities he has, he's going to be able to do it. And I, I think he does it. The next one I think is a little bit more interesting in terms of what you're going to say. And this, this is Dent. You talked about it a little bit. He has 124 and a half career sacks. I think he holds on to that. His single season sack record, 17 and a half. And given the, you know, Richard Dent rule of three, where you've got Hicks, Quinn, and Mack, I'm curious if you think anybody's going to threaten that 17 and a half in the early part of the 2020s. I, I don't think so because that's such a ridiculously high number and teams are pretty good at scheming to get the ball out pretty quickly when you got a fearsome pass rush. And, I mean, let's face it too, if, if the Bears defense is as good as it is, then I just it's tough for me to see someone getting that high a number. That's a really high number, Jeff. I mean, how 
What would you say it was? 18 and a half? 17, 17 and a half. I mean, how many guys in the history of the NFL have ever gotten above 17 and a half? No, it's, it's, uh, it's rare because it's over a sack a game and you've got, you know, guys in the, you know, low 20s. That's the record. You know, off the top of my head, it's like 21 and a half or something like that. So, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's a lot of sacks and it, it's a lot. Again, I'm not like a sack guy like there's you know pressures yeah. are, are just as important a lot of times but the the only way i could see it, it's tough though because if let's say the bears are just gangbusters this year and they're winning every game by a lot which means the other team is passing a lot i don't know in blowouts are you playing mac in the fourth quarter a bunch are you playing quinn in the fourth quarter a bunch mm. if you're blowing teams out so I, I just think it it would have to be a perfect storm where maybe quinn or mac has a five sack game Kind of, you know, like a, a random five-sack right. game, and that kind of really puts them in position to get to it with the normal sack pace the rest of the way. But I, I'm going to go – I'm just going to say no on that one. Yeah, I I, I think it's going to be fun to watch. But I think that they'll probably be more spread out. I think that the odds are that Dent will hold on to it. But I – just for fun, I'll go the other way. I think that – I think it'll get threatened, and I think someone will, someone will get 18. I hope you're right. All right. Cutler. 23,443 career passing yards and 154 career touchdowns. So the question is, will that hold through the 2020s? And obviously we both think that it won't be Foles or Trubisky to break that. But if the Bears get a young quarterback, let's say in 2021 or 2022, he would have potentially a pretty long runway to be able to break those career marks. Do you think that Cutler holds on to the career passing records through the 2020s? Yes, Jeff, because we have this. This is our tenth decade, eleventh, eleventh, eleventh decade. We do not acquire good quarterbacks. It's safe. It's <laughs> it, the, the 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 odds are that it's safe, Jeff. Cuddy lives on. Cuddy, timeless. All right, we talked about this a little bit when we're talking about Allen Robinson career receiving yards. 5,059 by Johnny Morris. Uh, I will just say, yes, I think this one falls. Yeah. Yeah, even if not by Robinson, the way the league is now, someone's going to break that this decade. Yep, I agree. My my money's on Robinson, but even if it's not him, I mean, it'll be someone. Right. I mean, Anthony Miller, you know, is having some shoulder issues. I really like Anthony Miller. Uh, Maybe he sticks around long enough as like a number two to be able to even threaten that. I mean, who knows? And so that's that's possible. And then how about 1,000-yard receiving seasons? So the record is two, and it's held by a bunch of guys. And so I'm curious if you think – Let's say Robinson, who could get his second this year, could break it, or if uh, somebody else will break it throughout this decade. Yeah, someone will break it. I ho- yeah. Again, hopefully Robinson, but if, if the career yardage record is going to be broke, I would assume the 1,000-yard season record will be broke too. Yep, and then here's one that I think is harder, and this has always been my argument for why, or one of my arguments for why Harlan Hill is the best receiver in team history, and that is number of 100-yard receiving games. Harlan Hill has 19. That is a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. And so if you're going to have a guy that's going to potentially break the all-time franchise record, does he also break the number of 100-yard games? Well, I agree with you that it's not as locked as the other two, but I'm going to go ahead and say yeah just because I think, again, with the way the game is now, teams are throwing the ball. Let's assume we get a competent quarterback that can stay healthy. Uh, he reforms a good rapport with one of the receivers, then 
I, yeah, I, I could see that. I could see that happening again. I, I'd maybe put it at 50-50. I'm definitely not as confident for this one, so I'm gonna just I'm gonna say yeah, it's gonna happen. Yeah, I, I'll go with yes, but I also just want to say, you know, Harlan Hill played in the 1950s and he had a injury career, an injury shortened career. And he still holds this record. He's <laughs> 19. That's, like, that's incredible. This is why he's so good and why it's that, unfortunate that's very, he only played 12 season games. That's very games. fascinating. So, uh, the last one that I have is the number of 300-yard passing games in a season. The record is four, which is sad, but the record is four. It's held by Cutler, Trubisky, and Billy Wade, of all people. Hmm. I think that this one is one of those that is it's going to get broken. Competent quarterback has you know, seven, eight, 300 yard passing games in the modern offenses. I, I think that that's, I think that just happens. If Trubisky can do it, then I think anyone can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If Trubisky can get four, I think that, you know, we could, we could get somebody in who can get six or seven, you know, comfortably. Definitely. All right. So those are the records. How about, who do you think the most exciting player is right now? And I think that this kind of comes down to three options. You either think it's Khalil Mack Eddie Jackson, or a guy that we haven't talked about, that's Tariq Cohen, a.k.a. Chicken Salad. Yeah, I wanted to pick Cohen, but I just couldn't because the way the game is set up, the way the TV camera works right now, it's it's uh, Khalil Mack just because I can't take my eyes off him. He's the edge rusher. He's the easiest guy to see, really, defensively in terms of what he's doing. Right. And so I, I watch him every single play. Now, Jeff, you know my dream is for the NFL to be able to let us watch all 22 footage live yep. and have that behind the quarterback view of what's going on. If that was the case, it could be Eddie. It could be someone like Roquan. Like it just kind of see Roquan diagnose a play and just take off somewhere. And I, I know you can kind of do that now with the camera angle, but it's just not as good as it could be if it was the all 22 footage. Like that needs to happen, Jeff. We need to be able to watch a game that way. Yeah, it's a really good point, and I think that if anything with this pandemic, that could be a potential silver lining. Which again, I, uh, you know, anything football related is you know pales in comparison to the tragic effects of of something like a global pandemic. But let's just say something that could potentially come out of this that could improve the viewer experience for for the NFL would be you know putting up more cameras because you're not going to have as many people in the stands or any people in the stands providing more interesting immersive experiences for for the viewer and and so i think that maybe we'll see something this this fall evolve into this as as you know the nfl is trying to find ways to capture more revenue and so yeah. i'm hopeful there was that one game where they where they had that camera angle behind the quarterback and you know you and i loved it and we were just like this is amazing i want this every play and they changed it by the end of half because people were so upset. And it's like, oh, geez, you know. So stupid. It's so, so stupid. It was, people it was just, you know. so much fun to watch the game that way. It was so much more fun. And so I, I hope that they bring that back as an option. You know, it's kind of like a, it's like your Spanish audio version where you can just kind of hit a button yeah. and you get a different audio track. I, I hope that they're. You can't tell me it's that complicated. If it's being recorded for the All-22 program or whatever, just clearly they can it. broadcast let, it. let me watch it yep absolutely and I, th- I think that that's that's something that's going to be coming and again it kind of goes back to the entertainment thing where you know you have more options you have more people investing in the technology you have more people investing in comfortable home 
uh, entertainment systems. And so I, I think it's there. To answer the question, I, I actually think it's Tariq Cohen because he's just a live wire with the ball in his hands. And I know he had kind of a rough year last year and a lot of people are down on him, but I think that he's a really exciting punt returner. I think he's really interesting with the ball in his hands. I think that the problem was that the defense has said he's too good for us to worry to just let a linebacker take him we have to kind of commit our our nickel corner to this guy and so he stopped getting favorable matchups and so i think that it's going to take an offseason for nagy to kind of figure out how to re-unlock Tariq cohen but i do think that he's fast enough and interesting enough that he can he can still make a difference and so i think he's pretty exciting and of course anytime that you get to see eddie jackson on the screen he's yeah, he's pretty dang exciting mm-hmm. too so there's a lot of exciting players max obviously a great answer i just wanted to make sure we we talked a little bit about chicken salad but i think that we're both in agreement that Khalil max the best player on the bears but if you had to predict for the entire decade who who do you think will be the best player of the 2020s well, hopefully they are not on the roster yet, and hopefully that person is someone who is a maybe college freshman or sophomore quarterback right now mm. and is going to be really good this fall, and then we will draft in a year or two, and then they will break all those passing records, and we can finally win a Super Bowl during our Conscious Bears <laughs> lifetime, Jeff. That's what I need to happen. Trey Lance is your pick for best Bears player of the 2020s. I like it. I I think that when the decade's over, we're going to look back, and I think that Khalil Mack's going to be going in the Hall of Fame, and so I think that a lot of it's going to be really easy to make that argument that Mack was the best player from the decade, and I think that Eddie Jackson has a chance to be a Hall of Fame safety, and so I think mm-hmm. that it'll be a really fun debate between those two. I think it's between those two, unless you get that quarterback that takes us to the next level. But again, I think that those two guys really do have a chance to make it through their career on a Hall of Fame trajectory. And that is always really exciting. I love the Hall of Fame players, you know, setting the Hall of Fame players of the Bears. And so I I think it's going to come down between those two. And I think that Mac has the edge just because of how good he is. But Eddie's Eddie's homegrown and he's younger. And so I think that he's got a real chance to kind of own the 2020s by the end of it. All right, we've kind of danced around this a little bit. Favorite player on this current squad? It's Eddie, Eddie Jackson, just homegrown, quite a first three years. You think the sky's the limit for this guy. Uh, man, I, I'm anticipating Pro Bowl, if not all pro season from him, and just fun to watch, a playmaker. Th- those are the best types of people to have on your defense that you're going to fall in love with, the guys that just make plays. Yeah, he's he's my favorite player, Jeff. Are you are you going with Eddie as well? Or are you going to go Hicks? No, it's it's You're Eddie. Go Mac. It's it's close, and but I think that it's Eddie Eddie first, and then I would have Hicks second, and I have Mac third, mm-hmm. and I and I think that it's in that order. I like Kyle Fuller a lot. He's at least in the in the arena. I like Allen Robinson a lot. He's he's definitely in the top five. I mean, I really like these guys. They're really fun to root for. And they have really good personalities. They're fun to follow on Twitter. I mean, I, I really like these guys. But for me, Eddie Jackson just kind of stands out as like, I love safeties. And like you say, when it's homegrown, when you get them as a rookie and you get to watch their entire career in a Bears uniform, that just like takes it to the new level. I mean, obviously, Allen Robinson's a free agent. Hicks is a free agent. Mac was a was a trade. And so that's great to get those players. And if they have the majority of their career in Bears uniform, that's that's incredible. And I love that. But mm-hmm. like when you have that entire career arc, that's kind of makes it that much more special. And so for me, absolutely I agree. It's Eddie Jackson. And I, I've come to just really like 
39. That number like now means something to me. And I think that's kind of cool too. Absolutely. All right. So I've got just two questions left. And this question, basically there's this old quote and it says, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And so what decade do you anticipate the 2020s most resembling? I had the the mid 2000s bears, or I guess just the 2000s bears, where you look at that 2005, 6, 7, 8 uh, kind of core and beyond. You had a very, very strong defense, a defense that can carry you, a defense that can get you to the playoffs, a defense that can get you to the Super Bowl. But the offense is always kind of the question mark. And I feel like that's where we're at right now at the start of this decade. We've got the D, Jeff. We've got the defense. The offense has some question marks. We need to figure it out soon because the window on the defense is going to close in the next probably three or four years. And so that's where I think we're at. It's so similar to the 2000s. I mean, you could start making, you know, player to player comparisons too. Yes, you can. It's it's crazy. It, you know, you Mac to Erlacher, you know, you've got Mike Brown to Eddie Jackson. You've I mean, if you want to go a little later, you've got Kyle Fuller to Peanut Tillman, you know, Peppers mm-hmm. comes in, well that's Quinn, you know, like you've got a lot of really interesting things and of course the quarterback position is equally like uh <laughs> like what are we doing here? Yeah. And so yeah, I really kind of identify this with the 2000s. It's going to be interesting cuz those 2000s teams you know, they were close. And there was a couple times, you know, and then we got into the Cutler era where, you know, those those teams could have made a real serious run. And obviously there's the NFC Championship game at home. And so I think that that's probably, you know, it's very near and dear to our hearts, but it feels really close. It feels like it's really echoing. Last question, who do you think will win the 2020s? I think it'll be the GM after the GM who replaces Pace. Okay. To to do this even further, pace to me is Angelo. Really good on those third and fourth round picks. Does not hit on many first round picks. Makes some nice trades, but just that's what it is. Thankfully, Angelo never made a Trubisky type trade. That's where I give Angelo a slight edge. So you said history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So once pace gets fired, we're going to bring in someone who's terrible. They're only going to last two or three years. And then I think maybe around 2026, 2027, we get our Theo Epstein for the Bears. That's going to finally lead us to the promised land. And Jeff, man, those 2030s are looking pretty good, I think, right now. <laughs> All right. So for me, I'm going to stick with the art of this <laughs> of this podcast series, and I'm going to end it with Khalil Mack. I think that he is one of the best defensive players in the league. I think that he is going to continue that dominance. I think he's built in a way that's going to allow him to play for a long time. I think the Bears have certainly committed to him financially, but I also think they've committed to him as a person who's going to be around the building for a long time. And so I don't anticipate him getting away. I think that he's going to play the remaining years of his career in a Bears uniform. And I think that he's going to solidify that legend and he's going to get up into that range with uh, the top players of all time. And I think that he could finish you know, as a, as a top 10 bear, which is an incredible accomplishment. And he's that talented. And I think that he means that much to this current iteration of the Bears. And so we're going to end Hallis to Mac with Mac winning the 2020s. 
And so that's it. That's the podcast series. If you missed an episode, all 11 decades that we talked about should be there for you to download. If you liked it, I, it's not something I ask for very often, but it'd be really cool if you could share it with your friends or family or possibly even leave a nice review on your favorite podcast app. If you didn't like it, then don't don't leave a negative review. Just uh, not quite sure why you'd listen to 11 episodes if you didn't like it, but that's okay. <laughs> Don't forget to keep the conversation going. I'm always up for talking about Bear stuff and Bear's history and Bear's current and Bear's future. Um, I'm on Twitter. I'm at GridironBorn. Please check out my other podcast series, which is called Bears Over Beers with EJ Snyder, where we talk about mostly during the season uh, over a craft beer, uh, current things that are going on with the Bears. But again, Matt, thank you and uh, appreciate everybody for listening and bear down.